tip today in association with Slattery's of Pecan, your main Peugeot dealer for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Morning, welcome along to Tip Today, 1800-938-007. That's our free phone number. It won't cost you to make a call and Emma is producing today. Coming up on the show, we'll be hearing the latest on Storm Debbie. The lack of disabled parking in Clonmel. Our listeners will chat to us about the dangers on our streets. Tipperary Finn Gael councillor Michael Fitzgerald talked to us uh, about his decision not to contest uh, next year's local election. Uh, Mother's Union are hosting an event in Rosgrave. We'll hear about that. The Mid-Tipperary Hillwalkers, they're hosting an open night at Cabra Wetlands. And Ali visits the smallest takeaway in Tipperary. So all of that and much, much more on the way. We will also play Tip FM's Match 3 game in association with our friends at Stakelham's Home and Hardware and Stakelham's Expert Electrical. So you can text in WhatsApp 083 311 You can email tip today at uh, tipfm.com as ever, whatever way you may contact with us we'd be delighted to hear from you. Now there's widespread disruption to travel and public transport services this morning. A storm debbie tracks across the country. Trees are down on many roads, schools and businesses remain closed until at least 10 o'clock and motorists are urged to take extra time for their journeys this morning. 58,000 homes and businesses without electricity. Carl Nolan is with Ireland's Weather Channel and he joins me now. Carl, good morning to you. A very good morning, Fran. And uh, thanks for your time this morning, Carl. Has the worst of Debbie passed us by at this point? Certainly for the Tipperary area, the worst of Debbie has passed us by. And I think even through most of the country now, the winds are starting to ease that little bit. There are still status orange weather warnings in place for very strong winds across the country at the moment, especially so across that central suede. So there is still caution advised, I suppose, over the coming hours. There are still quite gusty winds out there. And obviously with some structures, some trees maybe loosened during the night, there is, of course, the potential risk that some of those may come down with some of the stronger gusts as Debbie pulls away into the Irish Sea. We, it seemed to me certainly that the information was changing as Debbie evolved through the country. Um, some counties that weren't uh, red alerts became red in some way. Was that the way it was, Cahill, that we were, you know, we were kind of waiting and seeing? It certainly was the case. Look, I suppose if we rewind the clock back even a little farther, Storm Debbie itself was a very difficult storm system to predict. During the week, when analysing the weather charts, you could see that there was a lot of potential energy in the atmosphere between around Monday and Tuesday of this week, but it was very un. It was very uncertain as to whether a storm would develop or not. It wasn't really until around about the afternoon on Saturday that it became clear that there would actually be quite stormy conditions. And even at that, because Debbie was a rapidly developing system that really developed in the hours before it started to make landfall in Ireland, there was a high degree of uncertainty as to what locations would see the strongest of the winds and just how intense those winds would be. So as the storm developed, as it moved in across the country, certainly, we did see those 
I suppose, category red warnings extended to many areas that maybe previously weren't. Um, quite good forecasting in that sense to be able to, I suppose, what we would call it is now casting mm. when you're involved in such a situation whereby you have to just keep on top of things and update those warnings as the system <clears throat> is actually unfolding in front of your eyes. Yeah, I, I was listening to some of the national coverage this morning. It appeared certainly that Galway was getting a fair bit of a lash while we were, you know, we were relatively benign here at seven o'clock or so. That is the case. So uh, really, there was a core of very strong winds associated with Storm Debbie, but the system itself was only really about maybe 100, 150 kilometres across. So that exact location of those strong winds, it did vary quite considerably. The worst of the winds, based on what we've seen in terms of, I suppose, some of the recordings and some of the damage that's come in, certainly seems to have been across like, parts of Galway, into Rockcommon, Longford, Westmead, and then up through parts of Mead as well. That seems to be the main focus for the strongest of the winds. As I said, it was a very, I suppose, narrow band of very powerful winds. And then, of course, in Galway, what happened was we did have relatively high tides as well, combining with that storm surge to lead to quite a bit of coastal flooding in parts of Galway City and around Galway Bay itself. So what can we expect then weather-wise for the coming week or so, Cahill? Well, looking ahead, Fran, I suppose, thankfully, we don't see too much in the way of severe conditions as we've experienced over the past 12 hours or so. It's, I suppose it's quite a mixed picture really as we go through today, tomorrow it's quite a showery picture, we still have blustery westerly winds at times, feeding in some showers, some sunny spells also bit of a better day it seems on Wednesday we get a little bit of a ridge of high pressure so any outdoor plans or activities, Wednesday is a good day to get them done and then as we get on into the latter stages of the week we do still see a little bit of a high a ridge of high pressure on Thursday before we see a return to maybe wetter, windier conditions on Saturday, on Friday. And into the weekend then, low pressure remains close by, so it's a case of sunny spells and scattered heavy showers at that stage. I suppose temperature-wise, a little bit fresh when we see those winds in the west, picking up a little bit towards the end of the week, but there are tentative signs then as we go into the following week that we may see colder conditions start to take hold for, I suppose, what would be the first proper taste of winter, let's say. Interesting. Yeah, I, I was driving home rather late last night myself. I couldn't get over, though, that it was very warm, even though the storm was beginning to uh, emerge at that point. But it was about 11 or 12 degrees at times. It certainly was. I suppose one of the reasons that these storms form, the primary reason, actually, that these storms form is that a combination, a mixture between rather warm subtropical air to the south, usually, and much more colder polar maritime air to the west and it's where these two mix that we see I suppose the, the energy is trying to be balanced out between those warmer and colder temperatures so ahead of Storm Debbie yesterday temperatures were very pleasant indeed as at a hard match the local club of ours was playing in, in Wexford mm. took a stroll on the beach there afterwards it was about 12, 13, 14 degrees even at times in Wexford yesterday it felt very summer like and I suppose really it, it did feel particularly mild in advance of the storm system as it's pushed through much cooler fresh air has followed on. Certainly there's a little bit of a chill in the air this morning. I suppose that fresher air will remain with us for the start of this week as well. Cahill, we appreciate your time as ever. Thank you so much for coming on with us this morning. Pleasure as good, always. Good, good morning to you, Cahill. Uh, Cahill Nolan there with Ireland's Weather Channel 1800 938 007. The text and WhatsApp 083 311 Now one of our listeners, Anne, was in touch with some concerns about policing our streets in light of Ashley Murphy's uh, case. And, um, okay, I'll tell you what we're going to do. We're going to go to um, somebody else instead. I'll tell you what I'll do, in fact, is that I will take a break.
I, I beg your pardon, I won't, because uh, one of our listeners was in touch, in fact, last night about the lack of disabled parking spaces available at St. Patrick's Cemetery in Clonmel while visiting just before the weekend. And Joan joins me now. Joan, good morning to you. Good morning. How are you? I'm very well indeed, Joan, and good to talk to you this morning. Can you tell me what happened, Joan? Um, well, I live in Waterford City. My dad lives in Clonmel. I'm originally from Clonmel. And I came up to visit my dad. And I truthfully should be ashamed of myself. I hadn't been in the cemetery for, I would say, possibly three or four weeks, definitely. And um, my dad, um, he's nearly 82 now. He Sometimes he's in a wheelchair. And sometimes he has this, as he, a rollinator, but he calls it his roly-poly. <laughs> and yes. so either way, it's difficult for him going around the, the cemetery down there, even as it is. But I brought him down anyway. Sorry to cut a long story short. <clears throat> Excuse me. I brought him down anyway. Um, and as I drove into the cemetery, um, I don't know whether you you know the cemetery down I do, there. I do, I do indeed, Joan, yeah. Yeah. Well, if you drive in into the new park, car park, as I call it, mm-hmm. and you drive right in and right up to the top, there is like five disabled park spaces along the side of the green, this grass, we yes. say, which now I, I do understand there at the moment they're um, sorting those out for graves, which is understandable. Mm-hmm. We do need it in Clonbell, I don't know, for years and years we've been short of graves space down there. But um, literally there's bollards at the the back of the grass, we'll say now, where there was five parking spaces for disabled only beyond the bollards. So now, as it stands, I think, I'm not 100% sure, I could be telling you since, I think there's maybe two disabled parking spaces at the back of the grass. So for my dad, being able to drive right the way up to the, we'll say, either the first or second parking mm-hmm. space, depending on who was there when he went, um, is now not feasible anymore. So there's, a, there's definitely four parking spaces, possibly a fifth um, gone. And um, so now that means, obviously, if my dad's walking or if someone is pushing him in a wheelchair, it means he has to travel, I'm not 100% sure, possibly another 200 feet, maybe more, which is quite a lot for an elderly man who's not good on his feet. Um, now, I don't know because, as I said, I live in Waterford. I don't know if there was anything about it up there or what the situation is with it, whether they're just, it's just being taken away for a minute while they're doing that. But I wouldn't think so after they're putting up two bollards. And there's actually two bollards on the other side. There's two entrances into the graveyard, the cemetery at the back. And there's bollards going up on both sides. Um, so I presume that's only going to be available for... Um, so, so you think I, these spaces are taken away altogether, Joan? Yes, that's what it looks like. I yeah. actually took pictures of it. And it looks like they've squoped off the disabled... Marking, yes. Yes, thank yes. you, thank you. Yeah. Um, that's what it looks like, that that's been scoped away. So first of all, I was thinking, okay, maybe they're just, with the way the rest of the cemetery is, the new section of it, maybe they're just putting a bit of um, concrete there and they're going to extend it out. But it doesn't look that way now because there's bollards there now. So obviously my dad couldn't drive in there, if you know what I mean, unless he had a key for a bollard. Um, so... I'm yeah, just wondering, so, do, do any of the listeners hear anything about it? Well, well let's put it out there because some of the councillors tend to listen to the programme as well and maybe they can uh, inform us on, on what is the future of the parking spaces there because that's the important thing really, Joan, isn't it? Yes, yes, yes. yes. Uh, I was cross, to be honest with you now, because as I said, my dad's feeble enough and he's getting older and my mum passed uh, three years, she's nearly four years past now. And to be honest, my dad, 
if the weather is fine, he would go down there every day to my mum. Every he single day. Right. Yeah, like the, the people in the cemetery would know my dad very well because he's chatting away to everybody. And it's like a little outing for him, but he goes down to speak to my mum every single day when possible. And, um, it, and even there's times if you knew my dad, which a lot of people would know my dad in Clonmel, and um, even if it was raining, he may drive down, sit in the car, say his few prayers, um, and if anyone's around, he'll have a little chat. Like that's that's the way my dad that's great yeah so he gets great solace from, from that obviously he does, Joan and, 100% yeah. 100% uh, and I know if he was a bit distraught about it because like as I said he's getting older and more feeble mm. and for him the way he was able to just take out as he says he's roly-poly out of the boot of the car and literally mom is in the new section of the graveyard so it wasn't any well it was a, a chore small amount but not as much as it will be now for him and yes. not just my dad I, I was cross for my dad, obviously, but not just for my dad. There's quite a lot of people that I have been with my dad down there and have seen people parking disabled. And they would be my dad's age because he's know a lot of people down there and older, you know, and and younger yeah. in disabled yeah. situations that will have great difficulty. And the stones trying to push a wheelchair or even when my dad was pushing the roly-poly, um, like it's difficult enough. Yes. If that makes any sense. Um, like, I don't know, I don't know, as I said, because I'm not living in Clonmel anymore. There may have been an issue about it, there may not have, but I was crossed, to be honest with you now, and thank God I've had time to calm well, down. We, we, we'll make a couple of calls on the Joan and, and, and see. Is, is it frightening for him as well then, when, you know, I mean, yes, from a yes. balance point of view and all of that, I would imagine yes. so, yeah. Yes, yeah, yeah, he had a fall maybe a month ago or so, oh, and it's after knocking him for six. Yeah. So this in itself as well has been upsetting because he's not as good in his feet as he would have been, which he's been great anyway. Um, he would have been, we'll say, a month ago or six weeks ago. So that's making it more difficult for him, you know. So he's even nervous enough going around the house at home now, which he's been yeah. in for yeah. 58 years, um, as opposed to being going down there. And all of this has been changed. And the fact then that, that he has further to walk and everything. Um, like really, my, my concern is that there's, there's there's less disabled parking as well. Besides him not being able to walk around the place, there is now less disabled parking spaces down there for people that need them. If you know what I'm saying uh, as well. Uh, of you know? course, yeah. And many elderly people I know go there on a, a very regular basis. And as I say, they great uh, they get great solace for that. So he he goes yes. and he just he chats to your mum, Joan. Is that it? He oh he does, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He he'd have a chat to mum, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. Regularly now he goes down and, and he'd be chatting to, to mum to telling her what's going on every day and what went down over the weekend and you know like yeah, she, she's kept yeah. in the loop of everything. Ah, that's great, isn't it? and that's uh, his connection, uh, of course, which is oh, which is 100%, lovely. hundred percent, a hundred percent. And as I said, everybody that goes down there that would be there at the same time as my dad would know him and would come and talk to him and you know. Um, yeah. You know, like, so, like, he's, he'd be fairly well known down there because, as I said, he's down there regularly. Right. You well, know, now he has been down in a little while, but. Well, leave us make a few calls yeah. on that and we will see what the, the, the story is and we'll get some info for you, Joan. And my best Lovely. to your dad as well, and I wish him well, Thank Joan. You. Thank you. Thank you. Thank so you for much. talking to Thank us today. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you. Bye bye, Janelle. That's uh, Joan talking to us about uh, her dad there. What about your own experiences of uh, St. Patrick's there in uh, Clanmel? And uh, parking, you might uh, like to share with us 083 311 3311.
Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. Yeah, listener says, weather warnings aside, farmers are still not cutting down dangerous trees on their ditches and it's only a matter of time. Before a serious accident happens, uh, it really needs to get sorted. And that's according to B, who is in Cashel today. Now, Anne was in touch with some concerns about policing our streets in light of Ashley Murphy's case, and she joins me now. Good morning to you, Anne. Hey, Fran, how are you? I'm very well indeed, and good, good to talk to you today. What are your concerns, Anne? So, just in light of the case that has come up recently and other cases similar to it, where that other lady was attacked on her way going home from work, I, I feel that nobody's addressing the elephant in the room and we have no beat cops. If we had beat cops and cops on the beat, it would deter the 20%, because 80% of our population is self-policing. So, it, would, it may deter the 20% from you know, um, getting involved in opportunistic crime. So have the police out on the beat as opposed to the squad cars? Is that is that what you meet? 100%. Yeah. And they meet the people, they see what's going on. You have far more time then to see what's going on around the street, see if there's somebody hanging around a particular area, see if, you know, you can read people better when you're actually on your feet and you're walking around. You can get eye contact, see who's... Mm. You know, yeah, and build up intelligence like that, and so now you you know what, you know what's going to be said to you on this is that resources are so stretched that you know we can barely keep people in the squad cars. Don't mind to say out on uh, the beat. Um, what what do you say to that? Uh, Anne? So that seems to be a huge issue. I mean, if that's if that's the problem that's facing the country, where I say eighty percent of us are self policing, mm. and they can't manage the twenty percent. But something seriously needs to what be. What do you mean by that, by the way, that eighty percent of us are self policing? What do you what do you mean exactly? Eighty percent of us, Fran, aren't going to go into a shop and lift a loaf of bread. Eighty percent of us aren't going to go in and hold up a bank. Eighty percent of right. us aren't going to go right. We're law law abiding people. Hundred percent. Hundred percent. That's what we are. So it's it's the minority. Mm. It is a minority creating crime in this country. Mm. And if they can't pull it together to manage that minority well, then there's going to be, there is going to be, and there is already vigilante groups forming. And that is very frightening because who knows what the outcome of that might be. Yes, because innocent people get caught up in those all the time. You know, you have um, misidentification of of people, you know, and you see that happening all over the world where Mm. there's vigilante groups. They think that Mm. it's so-and-so, but it's not. It's their cousin or whatever it is. And people are getting killed as a result of vigilante groups. Yeah, so and so is branded as a, a rapist or a paedophile or whatever, and uh, then the, yeah. the the vigilante groups would act upon that, and it turns out to be the wrong person's wrong information. Yeah. Um, the elephant in the room that you're referring to, and would you just broaden that out a bit for me? Well, it's just that, like I say, we don't have guards on the street. Years yeah. ago, when I was growing up, now which the last millennium, let alone the last century. But when I was growing up, there was guards constantly walking the street. Mm. They knew. Now, they may not have been from the area or living in the area, but they knew yes. who everybody was. They knew who had businesses, who their children were. They knew who was living in such and such an area. They knew everybody just simply 
right, by polluting them on the street. And that's missing yeah. now, yeah. And you, I know that you have an issue as well about undocumented people coming in to the country, and oh. I do, I do. Yeah. I have a huge issue with that because we have no idea um, who the people are. Now, I do understand refugees coming into the co- to a country. I, I definitely do. War mm. torn areas and places where there's famine and everything like that, yet by all means they need assistance, they need help but there has to be another way of doing it. There has to be another way. We can't just keep taking all these hordes of people without understanding where they're coming from or if they have any crimes coming after them, if they're wanted in any other country for any other problems. If I was to go to America in the morning, I have to have visa, I have to have passport, I have to have declaration for criminal record, I have to have all this information. And yet we know that, well, we don't know, but we have hearsay that they're destroying passports on aeroplanes coming over to the country. And also they're just coming in and being placed in uh, little areas such as was going to happen in Cashel, Mm. you know, uh, very recently been placed in areas and communities where there's no information, there's no policing of them, there's no history coming with them. Yeah, well, in the case of Joseph uh, Pushka, the, the, the guy who murdered Ashing Murphy, I mean, he was a convicted sex offender in his native Slovakia, for instance, and, you know... Yeah, so. yeah, and that's another thing, too, is they kept saying he was from Offaly. He's not from Offaly. Do you understand, if I was to commit a crime in Dublin, they would say, originally from Tipperary, now living in Dublin. And why Why do you think that is? Why? Well, I, I don't know. I mm. genuinely don't know. I think they're what they're trying to do there, that's the media, I think what they're trying to do is not create um, a whole racist issue around it. Mm. But the problem is, is that it's, it is becoming an underlying racism issue. And is that the sense that you're getting? It is. It is so much, very much so. And I have, I have Syrian friends, and they're actually quite nervous going around about their business, you know, because they're being hauled up here and there, and everybody's accusing them of this, that, and the other, simply because they're from a different country. Now, they're working, they're, you know, giving back to society yeah. here, yeah. but um, they're honest, God-fearing people, and they themselves are nearly going around in a cohort of four or five just because they're afraid of, you know, somebody accusing them of something that they haven't done, they don't know anything about, you know. And these vigilante groups are picking on groups like that. And and, and that's very worrying indeed. Can I ask you, Anne, as a woman, um, are you very careful about where you walk, where you go, what time you, you, you go I at? would be. I would be, but I would be also for my children. Yeah. Um, I have teenage boys. I have boys, and uh, they're boys, um, and I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't like them to be anywhere in the dark. And there's certain areas that I wouldn't like them to be at all. Day, night, doesn't matter. You, you fear for their safety, obviously. I certainly would. I certainly would. And I feel boys are. That's a whole another conversation because I feel boys are kind of. They're neither this nor that at the moment. They can't do right for doing wrong. And I, I hate the whole fact that this crime against women, and it is against women, like, let's be fair, there is an awful lot of violent crime against women, but there's also violent crime against men. Mm. And I feel that boys in this present climate can't be boys. They can't hold the door open. They're wrong. 
They don't hold the door open, they're wrong. They give up their seat, they're wrong. They don't give up their seat, they're wrong. You know, so teenage boys are very confused right now. Yeah, and it was very interesting around the, 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 the time of that dreadful killing of Ashling Murphy. I mean, how there was that conversation around, you know, men, all men being a threat almost. And, you know. Yeah, it's very pejorative statements like that that get, yeah. uh, that get us into more trouble. You know, all men are not evil. No more than all guards are bad. No more than... You know, all radio presenters yeah. are just. You know what I mean. Yeah, sure, you can't. Yeah. You, you can't yeah. make broad sweeping statements like that. And I think that that's where we're going with this. I think it's very dangerous. I think it's creating very volatile circumstances. Yeah, and that whole phrase came up then: toxic masculinity and all of that sort sort of thing. But you're saying that is having an effect on young men, as far as you're concerned, because there's what there's uncertainty there, is it, and about how they should behave. Hundred percent, hundred percent. Because if they, if like, if you think of men and what has been for centuries, you know, it, it has been that men get, get emotional. And you, being a man, you would understand this, I'm sure. Men get emotional, they get violent. Women get emotional, they cry. That's not a fact. That is not a fact. So I just feel that because that's been put out there now, it's violence against women. Yes, there is violence against women. I'm not taking that away from anybody. There is, and that case was just horrific. Mm. Mm. But there is also violence against men, and albeit it may not be physical violence, but it's emotional and it's threatening um, boys' well-being and men's well-being in society. And those broad-sweeping statements are just, they're dangerous. They're dangerous, and people need to think about what they're saying, engage the brain before they engage the mouth, you know. And is the country and is the county, I mean, let's get parochial about it, is it a more dangerous place than, say, 10, 15 years ago, Anne? It is, yeah. It yeah, is, definitely. You, you didn't even have to think about that, so you... No, no, I don't have to think about that. You're watching everything. You're watching everything now, whereas years ago it might be where you put down your purse, but now it's who's going to run the trolley into you, who's going to throw this at you, who's going to trip you, because that's, it happened recently. There was a lady tripped on the street purposefully so that they could bash her head in, and they took nothing from her. It was just violence. Just, just to be doing something. My God. Do you know? Now, luckily, they were stopped. Mm. It didn't cause huge damage to the lady now she's very very shaken and this was no spring chicken I mean she wasn't you know an innocent 13 year old going around the place this lady was you know a middle aged lady world wild but um, and would have been aware of her circumstances and where she was Mm. but just for the crack they just decided they were going to trip her up take nothing but just give her a good good wallop but that happens to men as well yeah yeah, and we've heard those kind of stories on the programme over the years. That's, that's uh, for certain, Anne. And it was really good to talk to you today. And you mind yourself and my best to your family. Thanks, Anne. Thank you. Thanks very much, friend. Thank God you. bless. Bye-bye. How about you now? That's uh, Anne speaking to us there. Clodagh called in to say that there's a problem at the graveyard whereby trolleys used to transport flowers and plants to graves are broken. Uh, she was there last week and said that the only trolley there was a wheel punctured had a wheel punctured, I suppose that should be, so it couldn't be used. She said it's very frustrating, particularly for older people who are trying to take in flowers to graves that aren't close to the car park. Oh, wait, three, three, double one, double three, double one.
Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecan, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecan, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Now, uh, some reaction from our listeners. Fran, there should be Gardaí walking around the streets on the beat, not uh, policing pubs and stopping old farmers from drinking two pints on a Wednesday night. Another listener says 144 Gardaí have resigned in the last 12 months. The numbers are just not there. The job has been ruined by massive expectations put on ordinary working Gardaí. Another listener says, Fran, I must uh, say, yesterday morning around half past nine, I was out and about walking, I saw the Garda car on uh, three different uh, routes and on my way home I saw the Garda van, says Kay. So that's into us on 083-311-3311. Fran Joseph uh, Pushka was a convicted sex offender when we made that point. He should have not been allowed into the country in the first place. If we had proper border controls, uh, did the local authority carry out any background check before placing a convicted um, uh, offender in a residential estate. And uh, that's into us on WhatsApp today as well. Uh, Day 37 of the Gaza war was marked by fierce clashes which continued in Gaza City as its largest hospital, Al-Shifa, announced it could no longer treat patients and has shut down. Now that coincided with some progress being reported on a possible hostage agreement. Hamas on Sunday said, however, it was suspending hostage negotiations because of Israel's attacks on the hospital, where Israel claims that Hamas uh, operates a command centre beneath the compound. Now, Dean McGrath is a regular contributor to the programme. He's a member of the Ireland-Palestine Solidarity Campaign and also a Sinn Féin activist. He joins me now. Good morning to you, Dean. Good morning, friend. Good morning to your listeners. I hope you're all keeping safe out there this morning. Uh, all safe so far, anyway, Dean. You friends in Gaza and indeed the West Bank as well. What are you hearing from them, Dean? Yeah, I suppose. Look, um, it, 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 it's it's really scary, and I, I suppose for people, the Ireland Palestine Solidarity Campaign is a is an NGO that specifically advocates for Palestinian human rights in light of the. Um, illegal Israeli occupation of uh, Palestinian land since 1967 as per UN resolutions. Um, Look, uh, uh, Gaza is um, currently, from what we're hearing, is absolutely beyond imaginable. Mm. Um, So the current death toll um, is uh, 11,180 people. So about 4,500 children have been bombed. It's it's a a small area. There's 2.2 million people that call Gaza home. Now, they're not allowed in or out, only in specific permit circumstances. And obviously, since the onset of the current aggression, um, many of those people in northern Gaza have been asked to leave their homes um, even though it's highly, highly um, challenging to do that, they have nowhere else to go to move to the south. The Israeli army have, have more or less um, invaded the northern half of Gaza and are engaged in fierce fighting with um, with Hamas and other groups in that particular area. So civilians are trying to flood to the south. The main, I suppose, from what we're hearing, um, the people that, Obviously, we've we know people who've lost people. I know people that have lost significant members of their family. 
uh, there was a there's a school program that we do in uh, Waterford where kids from Gaza kind of try and learn English with kids from um, a school in Waterford, and we know a couple of those kids have died along with their families in rocket attacks on their homes. Again, like just just before we obviously to do the to do it today, that uh, our call here is for peace. Uh, I don't have any truck with, with Hamas as an organisation, but these people I'm talking about were civilians. They were children. They were people with dreams. They they wanted one particular one wanted to play football um, for his country. Uh, it, it's horrendous. War is absolutely horrendous. And yeah, that that's the current state of affairs in Gaza. Some some of the photographs are an indication of. It, it, I mean, it's indescribable if people haven't seen some of the footage. I mean, a, a lot of Gaza City now just raised to the ground, literally. Yeah. I mean, it's a, yeah, a, apocalyptic yeah. almost, isn't it? A hundred percent. And like like for us, let, let's talk about our lives, um, say in Ireland, where normal people, obviously, look, people need cancer treatment. Women need maternity care. Like, all of that doesn't stop the need. So... While these bombs are falling, there's cancer patients that aren't getting the treatment that they need to stay alive. There's women that aren't getting, we hear of doctors delivering babies under lights from mobile phones because electricity isn't there, with women screaming in pain because there's no, they get absolutely no pain relief because there isn't the supplies there. The largest hospitals are running out of medical equipment. Um, I can't describe the humanitarian situation in Gaza as anything other than an absolute human catastrophe. The catastrophe is entirely preventable if we say stop and humanitarian aid is allowed to enter the, the Gaza Strip. It is horrendous for every everyone in Gaza at the moment is living in a constant state of fear. Yes. Um, but and but it, the only people with the real power to say stop has to be the Americans and that's kind of watery at the moment isn't it in terms of what they're looking for? Hugely and I think what we've seen um, certainly in Ireland I think we've seen a narrative be reclaimed from like, like the peace narrative I think is is very very strong and calls for ceasefire around mm. the world yeah. are so strong and I think we need to be really proud in Ireland that as I said look I have my own issues with with government for you know different reasons but to be fair in terms of the progressive nature of a lot of their statements the most yeah. progressive in the EU and it's certainly on our world stage um, they're, they're very progressive I think that needs to I think they need to go further I'll acknowledge what they've what done and said so far it's really progressive mm. I think we need absolutely I think the Americans are become, coming under a lot more pressure domestically because in terms of a budget deficit there. In terms of, obviously, we have Americans who are dying from preventable illness as well for lack of a yeah, sure. affordable healthcare. Yeah. I think there's a lot more worries domestically about getting involved and financing this because obviously there's huge military weapons, there's huge budgets going in there, and I think uh, Joe Biden is under is under pressure because he has dialed back his rhetoric a small bit from. Mm. where he was. But, but, but even uh, Europe is not um, together on this either because, of course, needless to say, Germany, the likes of Germany, holding out in terms of condemnation of what Israel is doing, needless to say. Um, what, what, what do you make of that as well? Because Ireland is a small voice, I suppose. Sure. 
we we're a small voice, but we have an impact, and we have a, actually we have a huge impact on a on a humanitarian level on the basis that if, if we look at it, like Spain and Ireland have probably been the two most focal in Europe, and I think that that's the that that we can show and. Obviously, they've been annoyed. some of them have been quite annoyed by some of the more powerful European yeah, nations. Yeah. But why should we? We have to like being a new like our neutrality is important, but being politically neutral is a different thing. And from a country that has been, has been colonised, we are a colony. Our people were starved and during the famine. There was lots of food exported. There, that's what that's well documented. There was collective trauma because of mass displacement of people during the famine to the four corners of the world, a hundred million people died. We have so much colonial history and we have to stand up when we're looking at these powers and say, stop. This is this is the this is a legacy. And, We're seeing what's happened. And you know? Dean, it's it, it's so complex for people to get their heads around completely. But can you just fill us in on what's happening then in in the West Bank? Because of course you have the Israeli uh, settlements there, and I believe violence is on the rise there as well. And of course Hezbollah is involved there too. Sure. And look, we have to talk about the need for a ceasefire in in a scale where we're saying. We do not want right wider regional escalation. And that's what the big want, fear, isn't it? It it is. No, one hundred percent because what we what we, what what the Ireland Palestine Solidarity Campaign wants, we want an end to the occupation. But we acknowledge that that has to be done through a last and peace process. And for ourselves, like we don't I don't want any more innocent people to die. It's as simple as that. Um in the West Bank and look this breaks me hard because um when we're talking about, we'll talk about Tipperary in terms of agriculture, right? And you can imagine how, uh, you, you know how farmers are when it comes to their land, how yeah. proud they are here. Of course, yeah. So in Palestine, we have, uh, the main crop is, all, is the olive tree, uh, an incredibly resistant um, plant that grows, you know, like in terms of olive oil, obviously that, that's number one. Um, number two, then we have an awful lot of timber products that are made like from um, the carvings of the olive tree. So what we're saying is, um, and what's happening is, from the people that I would know, is that their their crops are being burned. So there are groups of Israeli settlers, obviously since 19... So just to inform your listeners, because you referenced it is complex. So there are 750,000 Israeli settlers in the West Bank. Mm. Now, those settlers are deemed illegal under international mm. law because that is then supposed to be for a Palestinian state. Yes. Unfortunately, with 270 settlements um, in Palestinian land, wonder how viable it is to say, with so many people who are Israeli settlers and the Israeli government saying that this is our land once our people are on it, you wonder how viable the Palestinian state may be in that regard. But the violence is, like, incredible. So what, we're, what, what I'm hearing is that the army is preventing farmers from reaching their lands, their olive trees. And settlers are burning them um, in front of them, widespread. 2,000 people have been displaced. What we're seeing is kind of a destruction of Palestinian agriculture. And we have certain Israeli ministers saying that you can go to the desert or you can go to Ireland. We don't care where you go. In the refugee camp where I would have sent him a video the first time I went and would have talked about it, Ada Camp is in Bethlehem, uh, quite close to the historical uh, birthplace of uh, Jesus Christ in the Church of Nativity. Ada Camp is a camp of refugees. Um, there's a place called the Ladji Centre 
where we would have engaged in Palestinian band. Um, it, yeah, it didn't, didn't go so well, but mm. it was really good. <laughs> Met kids from Ada Celtic Football Club. That's the, because they, the amount of aid that has gone in from Ireland has created this affinity. Wow. I, the aid of Celtic crest is a Celtic is a shamrock, you know. So in Ada camp, uh, there was a young boy, a 17-year-old, shot dead by the Israeli military, but he wasn't shot. He was shot on Friday, and there was a delay in allowing him to receive medical treatment during a raid. My God. So his body, he, he was handed to the Palestinian Red Crescent after... I, uh, in a delayed sense and he died on Sunday morning so that's the type of stuff that I'm hearing about from Ada camp where I saw those little kids in there however they managed to get like like a Waterford jersey a Tipperary jersey there's jersey drops from Ireland that's because these kids don't have enough and I see those little kids going through those little narrow um, lanes kicking a football about saying that they want to play for Celtic and I'm hearing these stories it absolutely breaks my heart and uh, it so horrific, Frank. Absolutely horrific indeed. Can I ask you, but I mean, it's probably it's a bit early in the time to talk about when this is is over uh, because there's probably a lot more death and destruction on, on the way, I would imagine. But I know that Mahmoud Abbas, for instance, the Palestinian uh, president, um, he, he wants uh, Gaza to uh, assume responsibility itself after the war. But Israel is looking for overall security control when when the war is is over where where do you stand on that what i mean it's it you'd wonder what's going to happen there wouldn't you you would i suppose Look, we, we, I, I can talk about like israel israel shouldn't be governing gaza one at all but like in terms of under international law we know that that's that yeah. they're illegally occupying land anyway but in terms of just where we are um so israel recognized the palestinian authority and they're obviously their representatives are in Ireland um, and all around the world. Now, there hasn't been elections there since 2006. And to say, it, like, again, people think you can be pro Palestinian and completely. I would criticise the Palestinian Authority mm. until the cows come home for no elections. We, there has to be democracy, there has to be elections, and the people of Palestine have to be given that, um, that fundamental right to do as well. But also, I, I can also talk. The how the Israeli occupation is uh, stopping citizens, Palestinian citizens in East Jerusalem from voting in those elections, which is another issue. But yes. anyway, um, look, that, that look, so in terms of what, what I think will happen is, uh, number one, I don't know. Uh, I know that there can be no full military victory for Israel in this, in, in, in this regard because even if they annex the entire Gaza Strip, um, I, I think that it will breed the, the amount we, we've seen it in Ireland that these type of actions are creating a new generation that have seen their buildings bombed, have seen their schools levelled, have seen their friends massacred, have seen their grandparents massacred. They're creating a new generation of people who will be radicalised. So a so, new a new Hamas or some version ex, of Hamas? Ex, is that ex, what you mean? Ex, exactly, because yeah. there's no we have. The, the PLO have tried the political alternative mm. for 30 years. There's tried to be a political alternative. In, Israel has increased settlement building. Israel has has increased its aggression. Israel has increased its rhetoric. Um, the PLO has laid down, its, laid down its arms. And it's actually gotten worse since 1994 
the settlements have increased in the West Bank where the PLO is still control. So for a lasting peace, what we need is dialogue. You need to give people the political expression so that they don't feel like there's no other option to resort to violent acts. So I would there needs to be a ceasefire. There needs to be a political settlement to this. And the political settlement has to be centred around international humanitarian law on both sides, absolutely. It has to apply to the actions of Hamas as much as it has to apply to the actions of the IDF. But the IDF is the occupier. The Israelis are the occupier in this situation. If it was Russia and Ukraine, people would think a little bit differently because I, I think that there's a kind of... A, I don't know, is there a thing in people that they see, oh, it's completely different. But if you look under international law, it's not, you know. It's there's there's it, there, there's one country that's forcibly occupying another country. You know? And and where the expelling of the Israeli ambassador is concerned, I mean, as you know, your party, along with the Sock Dems, calling uh, for the expelling of the uh, Israeli ambassador. Um, the the government rejecting that though, and and making an interesting point that you know it is in times of conflict and, and disagreement, I suppose, Dean, that it's important to keep those diplomatic channels open in some way yeah it's it's an interest it's an interesting take and i i I, that's that's a that that's certainly a view that the government put out there and from my point of view uh, i i i'm i i can just be clear i i don't think i think the israeli ambassador has no place in in our country based and that's not in personal just on the base that when you listen we cannot give diplomatic cover to what's going on in terms of genocide and that's what I feel that is happening in. But but to be fair, I would have felt that a long time ago as well. You know, so I so the pragmatic thing would be we need to keep all uh, diplomatic chains open. We need to keep talking. We need to. What the Palestinians are saying is that how long have we been talking? How long have we been trying to engage in good faith? How long can Western countries? So because this is this this is why it's so big. In terms of ending diplomatic ties with Israel, it puts pressure on the occupation, on the Israeli forces internationally. I know that we're a small country. Mm. So we need to, I feel like we need to exert such pressure and end diplomatic ties with Israel. If Israel, and if in terms of of a ceasefire and negotiations, I don't have an objection then towards re-engaging. Absolutely not. But in times like this, when people, innocent people are being massacred, and in time, obviously this is this didn't start. This started again. It started back to sixty-seven and forty-eight. But when you're seeing that, how can we how can we stand by and think that that is a good idea for us? We had we had interestingly enough. I, I looked at it. Our own Jackie Cahill TD was the signature of it. So, uh, do you remember when um, uh, Israel, for, or sorry, uh, Russia first invaded Ukraine? There was a letter calling for the expulsion of the Russian ambassador mm-hmm. by backbench TDs mm-hmm. because they wanted to end. Dip- they didn't want to end diplomatic. They didn't want to give Russia diplomatic cover. They said they should be expelled as an act of solidarity with Ukraine. And an awful lot of Fianna Fáil backbench TDs signed that. I was in agreement with that at the time as well because I feel that occupation is an occupation. 
I haven't seen such a letter. Yeah, I it's seen, just that at the time I the argument seen, there was yeah. there was a lot of people, Irish people in Russia, and again, yeah. you know, by by untying those diplomatic strings, you're 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 abandoning people, I suppose, to some degree as well. You know. Yeah. Well, look, that, 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 it's an, it's an interesting argument, I yeah. suppose that. I, and I suppose like we, we could still engage, engage, I suppose, on an international level with the Minister for Foreign Affairs and the Department. It yeah. just means you wouldn't have a representative of that government, say, in Ireland, you know, or a representative of the Irish government in in um, Israel or Russia, whatever the case may be. But no, I like I, I, I when I'm listening to the Palestinian voices and when I'm feeling it myself, I feel that it would send a message because many countries have already ended that. Right. Uh, we have many countries in the Middle East and we have many countries in South America. Well, when I say many, I mean eight. Considering, eight, considering how uh, slow the world is tracking these things, I think that's quite progressive. Right. And but, j- just before I let you go, Dean, can I just clear up a thing? We've got a couple of listeners on to us. One listener saying that uh, you were heard to say that you had no problem with the mass as an organisation. You never said that. But whoever... <laughs> Oh God Almighty! I have never said that whatsoever. I've actually yeah. said quite the opposite. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, quite the opposite. I have absolutely no truck with Hamas. No truck means I have no. I have absolutely. I don't support Hamas. I don't. Uh, yes. For me, they're they're an anti-progressive voice, and I wouldn't fare too well with Hamas myself. I have no time for Hamas. All right, Dean. Always good to talk to you, and thanks so much for your time this morning. Thanks, Dean. Cheers. Thanks. thanks. Very good much morning to you. That's uh, Dean McGrath, there, a member of the Ireland Palestine Solidarity uh, Campaign, also Sinn Fein activist. Eighteen hundred nine three eight double zero seven. News and information's on the way. Tip today with Fran Curry With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie Welcome along to the second hour of uh, Tip Today. 1800 007. That's our free phone number. The text and WhatsApp is 083 If you want to register to play our match three game in association with Stakedom's Home and Hardware and Stakedom's Expert Electrical. Now is the time to do so. Give us your name, your details, and if you want to put match three at the end of your contribution, we will pop you in the draw. We'll choose somebody, we'll call you back and you'll get an opportunity to play the game and possibly win some fantastic prizes there as well. Tipperary County Councillor Michael Fitzgerald announced last week that he will not contest the next local elections after a career spanning decades of service to the county, the Golden-based Finnegoyle. County Councillor, who serves as Cahirlach of Tipperary County Council, announced last week that he will not seek a nomination to contest the elections in 2024. Michael joins me now. Michael, good morning to you. Good morning, friend. Like an awful lot of people, Michael, I was terribly disappointed to, 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 to hear this indeed. What, what prompted the decision, Michael? Well, I suppose, first of all, friend, I never thought I'd, I'd go this far from 1979 to 2024, 45 years as a member of the county council, but I suppose to to um, to use a, a popular f- a phraseology this morning, I was absolutely blown away by the reaction of uh, so many people when I made the announcement on on Wednesday evening. Um, you know, it, it 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 really showed me, you know, the goodness in people that people uh, that I felt I had let down even 
over the years and hadn't uh, delivered for them in, you know, something or other that they may have asked, that they took the trouble uh, to say, well, at least you tried, like, you know, and I I was really, really, uh, really moved by the amount of people that, uh, you know, contacted me since privately and on social media and cards in the post this morning. And uh, I suppose to answer your question, Fran, you know, I, I've, 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 I've served the 45 years. Mm. I have. I never thought I'd get this far. I never dreamed from day one because I suppose I was a kind of an, a, a reluctant counsellor from day one. Um, I never thought I'd get to serve on so many, on every strand and every level of local authority in this country and indeed some in, 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 uh, in Europe uh, representing Ireland on mm. the Committee of the Regions like what Councillor Michael Murphy is doing yes. now. I did that from, from 2004 to 2009. Um, I, I, I uh, chaired the General Council of County Councils as it was known then uh, that that was representative of every single council in the country, and I also chaired the regional authority of the southeast regional authority. I did every I did everything that, that yeah. I did everything that you could do at local government level in this country, and uh, I'm delighted now to, you know, I'm well, I'm happy now to stand. Stand back uh, for the future. Uh, none of none of my family. I've I've three daughters and a son. None of them at this point in time, I'd say, are interested in uh, in, in going forward. Uh, I know that, and you know, I know they'll, they'll probably be there in the future again. Mm. But uh, for the moment. Uh, I'm, I'm going to take a break, friend. And, uh, well, as I say, I, you know, I was going to say I couldn't get over, but of course I can understand. But the outpouring on social media in particular, Michael, was, was astounding. You know, I don't, I don't think I've ever seen the likes of it. Um, it was your late dad's seat, wasn't it? It that, was, yeah, yeah, it was. And yeah. I just want to say on that, uh, friend, that he was a, a councillor from 1945 to 1967. And... Um, he lost his seat in 67. Mm. And I must say that, you know, I was 11 years old at that time and it was like a death in the family. Um, it destroyed him as a person to Did lose his him? seat. Yeah. Uh, he, 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 he couldn't really take it. And, uh, you know, when I, when I hear, you know, now when I hear, uh, and it affected all of us, I suppose, when I hear, you know, on social media, um, councillors or TDs or politicians being wished bad in life, you know, that, that you go, that you'll, you, you'll lose the next time. I automatically think of what we went through at that time. Like, you know, he tried again in 74 at the next election, and that was my first introduction of canvassing with him. I knew mm. we were going nowhere. We shared the same name, Michael Fitzgerald, and... Uh, mm. I suppose that experience of going around with him in 74, uh, he wasn't successful. I said, well, come the next time. I said, I'll, 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 I'll have a go myself. Uh, I wasn't too pleased about going when it did come in 79 because at 23 years of age, believe me, you have a lot of other things on your mind than, <laughs> than uh, entering the political stream in the 70s, in the 1970s. Yes. But... Uh, 
I think, you know, he died suddenly two years after that, but uh, I think he was proud and so glad that, uh, as, he, as he called, his old seat was back in, back in uh, business. And, uh, he must have been very proud of that, Mike. Very proud of yeah, that. Yeah, very yeah, proud of, of course that. he was. And, and, uh, and, and what do you put, I mean, your own vote over the years has been incredible, Michael. <laughs> what, what, what do you put that success I, down to? I, I put it down to, and I, 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 I'm the worst in the world to... Uh, to, to to praise myself for all the world, but you know, um, I remember that when I did get elected, the one bit of advice that he gave me was, "Do your very best and be as nice to people as you possibly can." And they, they were they were they were strong words, like you know, "Do your best and be nice to people." And when you treat people with courtesy and respect. And at times, it's not easy. Mm. At times, it's yeah. certainly not easy uh, because th- with the nature of the problems that they may have. Uh, but, you know, I found that um, a listening ear, a civil voice, um, a counsellor is a, a counsellor is more for all the world than a counsellor. He's nearly, he's, 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 he's nearly a professional counsellor in every sense of the word that you you, you yes. know you're you're asked to, to counsel people through very very difficult times and and uh, there in the last few years i suppose with the whole housing and homeless situation there have been very very difficult phone calls to my house i've visited very very difficult situations um, i've done everything i possibly could it's not easy under the present uh, situation, but you know, just just I, 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 every every time, and I served. I must say, I served with some great people, and I learned off of you. Learn off of people, you know. Everybody that was on the council when I was first elected, there's only one remaining now still alive, and that's Councillor Sean Sampson mm. in care, former Sean. Councillor Sean Sampson. Everyone else from the '79 era is no longer with us. Um, you know, um, you learn off of, off of like, of that first council. Carrie Atchison was there. Sean Tracy was there. Senator Willie Ryan and Tom Duggan. All household names. All house. John yeah. Byling, Care, yeah. Jimmy yeah. Murphy uh, in Grange, Moker, Michael Ferris, who I must say, he had taken my father's seat in '67, but we became great friends. Did you like, indeed? Yes. We, we did indeed, because yeah. I mean, down the road in Bantry here, I'm only four miles away. Of course, yeah. And when Michael, unfortunate, or, or he he went on to the Shannon, and indeed mm. to the Dáil, and he was no longer in um, local politics. Uh, the people of Bancha, yeah, came with me then for all the world, and that was that was a great boost, you know, to get uh, mm. a parish so near to you that they considered me and uh, uh, their local councillor. And, and you were getting a Labour vote there as well. I was getting, friend, yeah. I was mm. getting votes everywhere. Yeah. I was getting yeah. Fianna Fáil votes. I was getting Labour votes. I was taking Sinn Féin. You wouldn't believe. <laughs> you wouldn't believe the people that have. Uh, yeah, but you, uh, had, you had a very good election team, though, over the I years had, as well, I Michael, had, didn't you? You know, and I didn't always rely on. I didn't always rely on party members, mm. um, and I know that that's possibly for me not the the right thing to say now. But I plucked a few guys to give me a hand on mm. a bit of a road, and uh, they didn't realise then that they were putting a stamp on their, on their forest. 
but a lot of them stayed with me or in a housing estate they stayed with me and uh, never they were never party members they never you know but they just became great friends and knew what to do knew where to go sound people decent people I couldn't say enough um, I couldn't say enough of, of uh, good about the, the, the people that a lot of them have said to me over the last few days when I phoned them of my decision um well, we are going out with you. We're, you know, that that ends there. Uh, a lot of them, unfortunately, and I think particularly today, of a great friend of mine, Michael Fogarty in Mental Hill, mm. who I suppose from day one was with me. He passed away two years ago now. Uh, Michael would have been chairman of our branch here. He would have, he would have done everything at the last moment if you needed help. And Packy Morrissey, I'll have to remember him as well. He was president of our branch and. Packy, I suppose, was 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 another great mentor and another great um, Paddy Lundigan in Kilfeekel, um, John John Cooney in uh, and and Tom Hayes, I suppose, those three. The three of us came together in '79 and had a chat about this, and uh, picked me out as the one t- to go. And it became a kind of a social outing for us at uh, at that time. Then, canvassing and meeting people, and uh, it worked. It worked, and it worked ever since. So it certainly worked, and it worked a treat. But what a lot of people couldn't understand over the t- uh, time. In fact, I heard one person say that Michael Fitzgerald was the best TD that Fine Gael never had. Yeah. Um, what about that, Michael? Yeah, a lot yeah. of people find that very hard to understand. Yeah, they do. I, 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 I have. That's the one regret. That's the one big regret. Everybody that starts out as a, as a councillor would like to get to the very top. As I said to you, yeah. I, I've done everything at local government, every single thing. And the one thing that evaded me was to become an Iraqis member. I tried twice. In, and I tried, I tried three times, I suppose. I, I stood twice in 1982. If you remember, there was two general elections in 1982. Yeah. One in February, it was the John Bruton tax on children's shoes. Yeah. And the other one was in, in November of that very same year. I stood in both of those general elections. I got 3,500 votes with Brendan Griffin in Tipperary Town the first time. I got 4,444 would you believe it? Four, 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 four oh. in November. And uh, I went for the Senate on two occasions. Then I remember the late Peter Barry in uh, in Cork uh, coming to me and uh, giving me every assistance and help. But in 82, my father had just died the year before and uh, the management of the farm here, um, you know, there was a, responsibilities became different. And mm. Uh, mm. I couldn't keep going for the Shannon and I couldn't keep going for the doll. So uh, Teresa Hearn then, fair play to Teresa, mm. stepped in, a neighbour of mine here, and she got elected. And then, of course, Tom Hayes got elected after that. And uh, uh, when, Tom, when Tom went to the... To the, to the to the doll first from the Shannon. I stood that Shannon by election and I didn't win it. A Shannon by election is only voted by TDs and senators and MEPs. And uh, I must say, you know, um, Fianna Fáil people in Tipperary at the time, whereas they had their own candidate, I, I received great support from them. And I'll, I'll mention in particular Noel Davern. Mm. He was a, a particular friend. And uh, uh, confident and a mentor that you know um, I suppose there was a family tradition here my mother is Malumbi and there was a there was a family 
tradition of the Malumbis and and the, the Daverns. Yeah, uh, so there, there was a connection there. Yeah, but, yeah. but but it never happened. The last time I went for the convention, and I knew when I didn't win the convention the last time, I knew that was it. I knew I knew mm. after that when I got three thousand, it was the highest force I ever got. It was the highest force in the in the county, and in order and the fact that I had become the first chairman of the new twenty fourteen United. County Council in Tipperary. That was a singular honour that uh, you know that, mm. that 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 I was very proud of. And but I would, I would definitely have liked to have spent uh, a term or two as as a member of the Oireachtas because I know, friend, I was doing the work of uh, of a, of an Oireachtas member mm. of a of a TD. I, I I know I was, and I know to this day with the calls that I get from people uh, right across this county that they nearly consider me as 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 their TD. But, but look, I'm not... I'm not uh, well, that's, that's for sure, and that certainly was the sense that I would have gotten, particularly over the last few days that I was chatting to people about it, Michael. Yeah. I, is it very changed? My 45 years, I mean, you were in the ideal position. The, the role of the councillor, yeah. Michael, is it totally different now? Totally different. Totally it? different. It's full-time now, first of all. Yeah. It's tougher. Uh, we can say what we like about an amalgamated uh, county. Uh, I think it's a mistake. We were better able to do our business when we had two counties, north and south. And if you see the Dáil constituencies are leaning back in that direction now, yes. yeah. it was a pity that that ever happened. And it was a, it was a, it was a huge pity that the town councils were ever abolished mm. because they changed the, the whole dynamic of, of local government. They took away a strand of, of community involvement in local government that was so, so necessary. Now, having said that, town councils need, needed to be looked at and needed to be, um, you know, upgraded or changed in some way based on their population. But to see a town like Clanmel uh, now without a proper borough council that it's always had in the town of Tipperary. You you never miss anything until it's mm. taken away from you. The town of Cashel, you know, and, 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 and Tom Woods speak, speaks very, very strongly mm. about the loss of the town council in Cashel. Uh, th- th- those, were, those were huge changes to local government. Those were huge changes to the way we do our business. You don't, like, 40 people as we have now in a council chamber you get very little done. The, the, the work is done out on the ground, visiting people, going into their homes, calling to them, standing out on a field with them to, to, to look at where they might potentially b- um, build a house. Or, or uh, you know, y- y- you do the work mm. on the ground. You get you, you get your hands dirty, and, and that, that's what people expect you to do. That's what people appreciate you for. And I think you know that... Uh, that's what I would say to any up-and-coming uh, young councillor. Uh, I, I notice now all over the country it's very, very hard. Parties in particular are very finding it difficult to get people mm. to stand yeah. uh, for, 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 for this occupation or for this profession or for this job. And uh, it's because, I suppose, of the work that's, that's involved in it. Of course, and I mean it's probably an unfair with you with your experience, Michael. But was there something in particular that stands out as the moment for you, the the highlight for you, Michael? I, I, 
tell you, Fran, I was just thinking, um, I suppose there was there was two things and they're not they're not big. They're I, I, I always um I always try to promote uh, the village rather than mm. the town, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Small yeah. villages. I hated to see um, creameries closed and post offices closed and gather station closed because it took away the fabric of life as we knew it and it affected the schools and it affected everything and it's still happening, unfortunately. But when I was elected in, in, 70, in 1979, you, you probably know the little village of Thomastown. Of course. Yes. That's up the road from me mm. here. There's a school and a pub there. Mm. But there was never a house built there, ever. Mm. And uh, I remember standing up there and uh, having a look and asking the council would they purchase ground there. It was all pure dereliction, you you know, there was Mm. nothing in Thomastown. And when I mentioned it locally to people, they laughed at me. <laughs> How has it been built in Thomastown? It was crazy. But now Thomastown is a lovely little village. Yeah. It's a little hamlet there with nice crescent of houses built on it. Hopefully in the future we might be able to build more. The school is thriving. Yeah. Trevor in the pub there is, is, is flying. Beautiful restaurant there. A, yeah. a beautiful restaurant. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, you know, and it was things like that. And there was parts, when I got elected, there was parts of my, my, my parish, my village that hadn't water. They hadn't. They had no pipe water. They were drawing water. Families were actually drawing water to their houses for everyday necessity. Like, you know, and I thought, I felt as we entered the 1980s, that wasn't good enough. And uh, I worked hard to see that um, those kind of, those kind of things. Another instance that I'm working on at the moment, and I'm not going to let go until, until I go, is the fact that you have places like Salahed who the people, the residents of Salahed, have no place to be buried. Mm. They either have to come to Tipperary Town or they go elsewhere. You know, it's, 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 it's a basic right for a person living in an area that they spend the rest of their... their you know, that they, they can rest yeah, in peace. And, you know, we'll, those are things, basic things. Uh, I suppose there were highlights of, of it when it happened, but it was hard work to make it happen. I also, I suppose I met, I had a private audience with Pope John Paul II when I was sent to Rome for the canonization of, uh, uh, I suppose, a band in Cashel that would be close to your heart, the Canon Hurley Pipe Band. Uh, Canon Hurley was... Terminal Hurley Pipe Band, yeah. He he, he was uh, canonized in... 1992, mm. 1992, and I, I was sent to Rome to represent the, the council, and uh, I had a private audience with the Pope at that time, and that was a kind of a life-changing experience because you go in and you, you meet the Pope and you come out and you have to kind of pinch yourself to know, <laughs> my God, did, I, did that happen to me? Like yeah. you know, and well, of course in on on in in Cashel last two years ago, I met the, <laughs> the king, the king, the king of England. Now. <laughs> It's incredible opportunities. I mean, when you when you think about it, Michael. Absolutely. Yeah, well, absolutely. Michael, just on a personal level, I'm really disappointed because I always enjoyed interacting with you over over many years, Michael. And uh, I wish you well. And as I say, I'm looking at the screen in front of me here. So many people disappointed with your decision, but we yeah. can all. Forty five years is a good old outing. It is, yeah, <laughs> friend. And I just want to say to yourself, um, Seamus Martin, before you, yeah, Alison, yeah. there, Pat Murphy, absolute gentle men and you know Alison and Emma who's there with yeah. you today yeah. you know lovely lovely people who who you know kindness and respect is is what is epitome epit whatever that word is whatever yeah. you know to, to 
Hope FM and I want to thank all of you for everything uh, over the years and hopefully we'll keep in touch. I hope we will indeed. Michael, you look after yourself and thank you so much. Thanks for your time this morning, God Michael. Thank you. Bye-bye to you now, Tipperary. County Councillor Michael Fitzgerald there announcing that he will not contest uh, next year's local elections. 1800 Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecan, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecan, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Now, as I say, a lot of people expressing their disappointment about uh, Michael Fitzgerald's uh, decision, but I'm really taken by one of our callers who says, if Rose Green can have a monument to Vincent O'Brien, surely Thomastown can have one of Michael Fitzgerald. Well, there you go now. Project Ireland 2040 is the government's long-term overarching strategy to make Ireland a better uh, country for all and build a more resilient and sustainable future, I suppose. Ireland's population is expected to increase by 1 million by 2040. Now, linked to that estimate is that half of that number won't have been born in Ireland. Now, it was brought to our attention by Alison Devere Hunt during our panel discussion last Friday. Let me just remind you of what she had to say. If I might read a quote from Simon Coveney um, in relation to Harvest 2040, he said, over the next 20 to 30 years effectively, we want to attempt to double the size of all the cities in, in population terms outside of Dublin. The population of Ireland will certainly grow by an extra million people. Linked to that estimate is that half of that number won't have been born in Ireland. What? This is from, that's a quote from late 2019 early 2020 this is in the pipeline a long time we also had an opt-in or an opt-out just like Denmark I'd like to know what government what say who in government signed off on this earlier this year that we were going to opt in because I think that should have been put before a referendum for the people to decide that's Alison Devere Hunt as a panelist last Friday and now Kieran joins me now good morning to you Kieran. Uh, good morning, Fran. How are you doing? I'm very well indeed. You're of the opinion, Kieran. I think that we need a bigger population. Are you? Absolutely, absolutely. The the population of Ireland is too small, so our internal economy is too small. If we had a population which we should have, only for historical reasons, mm-hmm. going back to the famine, mm-hmm. we should be up around twenty twenty five million could make Ireland a much more attractive country for for industry internally and externally and to create more jobs. And, and so and, and the con- for it big time. And the concerns that Alison has there, I suppose, is mainly about that notion that half of the number of uh, increased population that we'll have by 2040 won't have been born in Ireland. Does that Does that trouble you at all? No, in principle it doesn't. If to, um, I do, we're part of the EU mm-hmm. and there's 26 or 27 countries in it. And if we're part of the EU, we should be looking at, um, at foreign people coming into the country as people and not as foreigners. Mm. We've gone all over the world historically, Australia, New Zealand, America, Canada, England for work. And I can't see how, if it, it was done properly, uh, why we wouldn't return it. We, at the moment in our economy, we have a shortage of lorry drivers, mm. uh, the uh, shortage of workers in nursing homes, hospitals, hospitality, yeah, uh, um, the catering mm. uh, industry, restaurants, and hotels. So, how are we going to fill these positions? 
if the country is verging on full employment at the moment, there's always a certain percentage uh, that cannot or won't work. So where, how are we going to fill the position? And are you of the opinion that anybody who presents themselves here in this country should be allowed to work, for example, Karen? Yes, I, but it has to be done properly. We can't do it um, willy-nilly. Mm. Like, I agree with, the, with it in principle, but we have uh, these centres where people are, are in for five, six, seven years and they're not working and the cost in the country money. So if there was a process there and these people are either given a work permit in Ireland and if they pass whatever criteria, I don't see the problem. And if they don't, then why are we holding them no. in our country? economics, of course, is cyclical uh, as we've, God knows, we've discovered in this country, it can go from boom to bust. Um, if you increase your population uh, hugely, like we're, we're discussing here, Kieran, and if we have issues with the economy then, where where would we be in that case, for example? No, I mean, if, if I unemployment I... was on the rise, for example. Well, if we have more people working, we can carry uh, more unemployment. But I think it's too negative to look at the economy like that. But I mean, uh, it's, it's it's reality, isn't it? It can be if if things go wrong. Mm. But with, I think it's just too insular um, to think like that. Mm. We have, but we, as I say, this would have to be done very controlled. First of all. If, if we're going to increase the population or it's going to grow um, to Irish people and foreign people by a million, by, the, by 2040, mm. first of all, we need to fix housing for our own people first before any plan like this mm. well, can we, be attempted. We, we can't even do that for the population we have at the moment, so I'm just wondering with an extra million how we well, would... Mm. How, how we would do it? Well, look, Brian, I I don't honestly know. Mm. Myself. Um, I, I'm not going to sit here and try and um, mm. fix something that a load of guys up in Dublin haven't fixed for the last fifty years. But yeah, well, well, I know that uh, you know, particularly where specialist jobs is concerned, and uh, you know, certain. Uh, companies and industries wanting to uh, bring in people of a specialist nature. I mean, the, one of the reasons they can't do that is they can't find someplace for them to to live, someplace suitable. Um, so that Correct. that's that's an ongoing issue, I guess, Kieran, and uh, that won't be fixed even in the next five years. You know, it, no, it yeah. won't. It, um, it, it's um, it's a long term problem. Yeah. And and when when I, I think when someone says that the the population will grow by a million people or, or by the year two thousand and forty, mm. it's hard to see it, but I do think the population will grow. But we need to have a big big plan in place. Right, but, but you're seeing it as a positive as opposed to a negative. After, absolutely. All right, Kieran. really good to talk to you today and uh, thanks very much indeed for your time. Uh, some interesting thoughts there. How do you feel about that? Uh, 083 311 3 Just to go back to that statement that Simon Coveney 
uh, said and uh, that was uh, repeated there by, by Alison. He said, over the next 20 to 30 years, effectively, we want to attempt to double the size of all of the cities in population terms outside of Dublin. The population of Ireland will certainly grow by an extra million people. Linked to that estimate is that half of that number won't have been born in Ireland. So what do you make of that? 83 Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecone, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecone, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Now, an event will be held in the Muitonatira Hall, Ross Grey, on Saturday the 25th of November, working together with Women's Aid to help end domestic violence is the title. And the speaker is Nolene Blackwell, who is CEO of the Dublin Rape Crisis Centre, and uh, to talk to me about this, presented by the way by Mothers Union, and to talk to me about this, I'm glad to be joined by Jesse Griffin, uh, face and policy coordinator for the Diocese of Limerick and Killaloo. Good morning to you, Jesse. Good morning, friend, and thank you for having me on your program. You're very welcome indeed, Jesse. Would you just remind us of Mothers Union again and the kind of work carried out by that organisation? Certainly. Uh, Mother's Union is a worldwide organ, Christian organisation with 4 million members worldwide. We're in 83 countries. Uh, worldwide, we would be working in countries like uh, Cameroon, Congo, Ethiopia, Argentina, and our members would be teaching literacy for mothers, because if you teach a mother, uh, she will teach her children and also finance training. And these have been great programmes. Some of them have been working for 70 years. Uh, then more locally in Ireland, uh, we we help the refugees in Limerick, Adapt House in Limerick, uh, Tralee, um, and Athlone, and we bring uh, we bring bedding, uh, toiletries, uh, toys, lots of stuff, you know, a lot of new stuff for for mm. them. Uh, some of our members in Cork and Dublin uh, go into prisons and support families of prisoners. Uh, our members knit teddies and knitwear for uh, the ambulance and the fire brigades that they bring them to situations that have them on site uh, in the van if they're going to uh, to uh, to something. And um, we also knit for the premature nurseries and for stillborn babies. That's, that's kind of yeah. yeah that's kind of this. And Jesse, I was reading up uh, on on the work you do, and it's it's amazing work, really. But you sort of go under the radar a little bit. Is is that deliberate that you you're not? No, even... not at all. Not yeah. at all. We're we're like every other organisation now. We're an ageing community. Yes. Yeah. You know, the younger we have. I'm in the I'm in the Adair group, and we have eight or ten young women. But a lot of the groups, it's more older people now, and we have meetings all through the winter. I always associate that something like the ICA with a few prayers thrown in. Yes. <laughs> we have speakers yes. we have speakers and you yeah. know and then, then we have the people doing in, in places like Dublin and Cork there's huge work going on because there's young members. Mm. Yes. Uh, doing well, yeah. That's the life's blood, I, I would imagine. And exactly, still, exactly. still here you are dealing with very contemporary issues. I mean, domestic violence is such a, a huge, huge tragedy, absolutely, is it not, Jesse? Absolutely, And yeah. we, have, we have, for many years now, we've had this, um, this 16 days activism for, against gender violence. And it starts with the, the vigil, which we're having in Ross Grey. And we always have a speaker at that. Uh, there'd be a vigil in every diocese in the country. And uh, we work with Women's Aid, 
at the moment we'll be putting out posters in all ladies' toilets, in hotels, pubs, all over with little pull-off slips with Women's Aid Ireland uh, number mm. on it. Mm. And I actually phoned that number this morning to check how fast I get a response and I was spoken to within one minute. Fantastic. Which so the, the, the number, you know, yeah. Um, yeah. And in, in your time in Mother's Union, for example, Jesse, I mean, have the issues changed considerably? Or are we still dealing with pretty much the same issues where women are concerned? Very much the same, I think, a friend. Um, yeah, I have a, a very stark uh, statistic here. It's, it's research done in 2022, and it shows that three in five young people have experienced or know somebody who has experienced intimate relation abuse. One in five young women have suffered intimate relationship abuse. One in six young woman, women suffered coercive control. 51% of young women experienced abuse are under 18. And of the young women who suffered the abuse, one in two experienced online abuse and one in three have never spoken to anybody. My God, that's very stark indeed. That is, and that's from Women's Aid 2022. And now, did COVID play a part in escalating those figures in some way? Yes, the, 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 the refuges were are literally bursting at the seams since COVID. Yeah. They weren't hardly able to cope during COVID. It was horrific. Because we're in and out of, the, of that house I would be involved in, and I know, yeah. Terrible uh, pressure. Nolene Blackwell has been, as you know, the Tipperary woman. She's been on the programme se- several times, Jessie. Um, it's not easy listening to Nolene when she speaks because, it's, again, it's tragic, isn't it? Absolutely, absolutely. But, I mean, back in the day, I think I'm 70, Fran, and back in the day when I was a child, I mean, abuse is right, but was under the carpet. Yeah, At least now... It's coming out, yeah. you know. Yeah. And I'm not talking about the churches. I'm not talking about priests or or nuns or uh, um, mm. the the play the mother and baby homes. Yes. I'm talking about people in country areas, young girls. Yeah. I mean, oh, when I was young, men didn't think twice about you know trying it on and whatever. Older people. And it was yeah, known, so, so, Jesse. It was known. It was known, but yeah. you were afraid. You were afraid to go yeah. home and tell your mother or anybody because you'd probably get a clip around the ear and be told you were talking nonsense. Yes. You know? Um, yeah. And you but were interfering you were interfering somebody's business, I suppose. And yeah. yeah, absolutely. And that person is, is respectable and that person couldn't possibly couldn't possibly do it. I mean, I worked in the Rotunda Hospital as a midwife many years ago and um we had young girls who had been raped by older people or whatever, you know, coming through. And it's, even back then, it frightened the daylights out of you, you know, young, 15, 16-year-olds. So, and so while, while the figures you gave me are still stark, at least I suppose we're having the conversations now, Jesse. Absolutely. Which, yeah. And people are, people, yes, and people are more, uh, even though it still says that one in three still never speak to anybody about mm. it, I think it, it's, it, it's, yeah, we're having the conversation and it's not tolerated anymore and it shouldn't be tolerated. Who who's welcome along on the Saturday? On anybody, the 25th? anybody, absolutely yeah. anybody. Uh, everybody's welcome. We would love to have a good group for for Nolene. Um, you know, the more the merrier. Yes, and she's a wonderful yeah. speaker. It's it's yes. important yes. To, to say that yes. as well. Yeah, and just to let you know that um, it's the address of the Munchenatira Hall is Five Chapel Lane, Towns Park, Ross Grey. Hmm. 
It's, it's near the Super Value car park. Yeah, car park. That's right. Yeah, That's right, Brian. Yeah. 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 I mean, the irony, too, is, I mean, Christmas is almost upon us, dare I say, Jesse. But there's a time as well when uh, domestic violence increases for some reason or other, you know? we cover Yeah, well, I think, I, I think we all know this when all the family get together. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the rows start. Yeah. 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 Yeah, yeah. That's it. absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. But COVID, COVID definitely, um, as I said, the, the refuges were, were bursting at the seams during COVID. And we couldn't bring stuff in during COVID. We couldn't of go course. in during COVID, you know. Now, another... Uh, aspect to the, the meeting on, on Saturday, is, uh, Saturday week, uh, if anybody who is coming would like to bring something like toiletries, we, we, we collect on that day for the refuges. But it has to be new stuff. We can't take them in anything secondhand. Of course. Of course, So yeah. bedding, bedding sheets, single bed sheets, duvets, um, duvet covers, you know, everything is welcome. Toys for children. Most of these women have to leave with nothing. Yeah. They leave their houses with nothing on their children and they run. So they have nothing with them. When they arrive in the, in the refuge, they have absolutely nothing. I can't, I can't imagine what that must be like for them. Um, Horrific. Are, are you also hearing from asylum seekers and uh, Ukrainian refugees and the likes as well? Is that is that reflected in the kind of numbers that you're seeing as well, Jesse? Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Of course it is. Because you have people... Re- yes. Because they, we already we were on overload before, way on overload before we took in the refugees and the Ukrainians. And and that gives you added issues, I suppose, because, you know, language barriers and the, the like too, I would imagine. Yes, well, well, I mean, they, they would have interpreters and whatever, but yeah. uh, it's, just, it's, just, it's just overpowering, you know, the, the amount of the work that they have to do in those, in those refugees. Yeah, now, I know it's a Christian organisation, uh, but you are inclusive, though, are you not? Oh, Jessie? totally. We're yeah. a Christian organisation, and we help every every faith and no faith. Yeah. So everybody, everybody, absolutely everybody. <laughs> and Mother's Union isn't made up of mothers. There, we have men, we have clergymen, we have uh, we have everybody. If you have a mother, you're entitled to be in the Mother's Union. Yeah. And I suppose old, olden days to seen as Anglican, but we would welcome everybody, everybody to, to join our groups, you know. We would love, we would love younger women especially to get involved. And there's one, there's a group in every every Church of Ireland parish, yes. our group of parishes in the diocese. We have 12 groups in our diocese. As I said, I'm in charge of the Adair group, uh, apart from being on the diocese and council. Um, yeah, and we've 28 members. And, you know, even just to give you an example, we had a harvest supper. We joined with the Limerick branch there, for a harvest supper for for uh, overseas. And yes. um, we made over 600 euros, just yeah. 30 yeah. of us, sitting down to dinner, having a raffle, you know, and that, that's yeah. where we make our money. But our most of our membership is obviously in third world countries and they're working on the ground there. Yes, and again, I was reading some of the work you're doing out there and it's absolutely incredible. So we're, now, to- we're talking about Saturday week then, the 25th. You don't have to register, just turn up, I guess? Just turn up, we'd love to see okay. you. And Fran, just one more thing. Sure, we just... also have Away From It All. It's a programme we do. We do a Mums in May fundraising, a big fundraiser every three years and the funds go to Away From It All. And that would be, if you knew somebody who was in really in need of a break or maybe a child who hadn't the price of extra school books and they were very good or whatever, we will very discreetly 
fund them or send that person maybe away for a weekend, for a break, or send her and her children and husband away for a break. You know, we we look after that on, on the home ground. Very good indeed. Did you have a yes. number that you could give me if people are affected by anything we've been yes, speaking about? Yes, I have about indeed. It's, it's, a, it's a, a national number. I asked her today for a local number when, she, when I rang. Yes. And she said, if once you ring the national number, they will automatically give you your local number for your area. Okay. But the number I have is 1800 yes. 341 900. Okay, and that's that's women's aid, isn't it? That's women's aid, yeah. Yep. All right. Yep. Jesse, yep. we wish you so well. We work, I, I beg your pardon, yes? We work with women's aid. All right. For, okay. on, on, on the, the uh, domestic violence front. Uh, yep. uh, of course. Jesse, look yep. after yourself and ha- have a great day on Saturday week. Thank you for coming on. Thanks with us. again, Thank friends. Bye bye, Jesse. Bye bye. Jesse Griffin there of Mothers uh, Union. News and information is coming up. Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. How many life-changing conversations have you had? For the past 35 years, Hidden Hearing's expert audiologists have been having these conversations. Let's go to the phones of Philomena. Is there? Good morning to you, Philomena. Good morning, friend. How's, How are you? I'm very well indeed. Whereabouts in the county are you? I'm in Giant's Grave in Clamell. Ah, very good indeed. So you all set the play. I am. Have yes. you been Have you been listening over the past while? You have. I have, and I have quite a few numbers actually. Oh, very. Oh, so you're so <laughs> you are so organised indeed. Now you know the story. You have to match a three. If you pick a box that is empty, in other words, if the prize has been given away, we'll give you another shot at it. Um, but if you fail at that point, then to match, we have to say goodbye, Philomena. Is that okay with you? That's okay. Yes. All right. Thank okay. You. So pick a box for me. Uh, box number ten. Box number 10. Let's open box number 10 and we'll see what happens. All right, box number 10 is a Ninja Air Fryer. It's valued at just under €160, so it's a nice prize indeed. Let's see if we can match up, Uh, Philomena. Pick another box for me. Box number 18, please. All right, let us open box number 18 and see what happens. Box number 18 is also a Ninja Air Fryer. So you're on a roll, girl. You're on a roll. So all you have to do now is match a third box for me. So choose a number for me. Uh, box number 40, please. Four box, box number 40. Let us open that and let us see what the story is. Now, would you believe it is an air fryer, but it's a Russell Hobbs air fryer. It's valued at 130 euros, so it's not a match. It's not a match. Oh, Oh, I feel so sorry for you because you were so, so (laughs) close, Philomena. So close indeed. And look, please do. Please keep trying. Please do indeed. Do you want to say hello to anybody as you're on? I just say hello to all my family. All right. Well, lovely to talk to you today. (laughs) Thanks very much indeed, Philomena. Thank you. Okay, friend. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Tip FM's Match 3 game. Unwrap an early Christmas present from Stakelum's Home and Hardware and Stakelum's Expert Electrical at Racecourse Road, Thurles. Shop online at stakelums.ie. Match 3. Win the prize.
Tip FM. Match three, win the prize. Stephen will give you another opportunity. Owen in the afternoon and Carol as well. And of course, we'll be doing that right throughout the week with some of those fantastic prizes there indeed. Now, this coming Friday, November 17th, the Autumn Spring Challenge Committee in association with Mid-Tip Hillwalkers is hosting an open night in lovely Cabra Wetlands in Thurless. It'll kick off at about half past seven. Regular contributor to the show and the chairman of Tipperary Tourism, John G. O'Dwyer, is with me. Good morning to you, John. Good morning and thanks for the invite to come yeah, on. You're very welcome indeed. Tell me what's happening then because it's going to be a busy night, isn't it? It is indeed, yeah. It's, a big, it's kind of an open night and a social night for the club as well. But uh, the main thing that happens is, I suppose, every organisation tries to put something back. And the club has had this spring-autumn challenge. And would you believe the last one we had was the 50th? And if we go back, a lot of the listeners will know about this. The man who unfortunately has passed away since... But Michael Sutton, who was loved by so many people, he was the person who initiated the idea. And he approached me and asked me, would we do walks walks for charity? And the first one we did was up Karen Tuchel. And it's been going ever since. And the great thing is now, it keeps going in Michael's memory That's as well good. as that. And like, in fact, we're, we were held up by COVID then. So we're going to be recognising him now with a special event next spring as well as that. But at the moment, we're giving out 16,500 and that's raised by the club members of Mid-Tip Hillwalkers and it's going to a charity so there is the, uh, the we'll say the daycare centres in uh, Cashel, in Tarlis and in Templemore, Tarlis Lions Club who are involved of course you probably know about that great project Stanwick's Homes there and then Cashel Lions Club as well as that, Embrace Farm they look after farm accidents people who have been affected by farm accidents and then Down Centre Ireland and Enable Ireland as well as that. So they're all getting 2,000 euros. We're giving 500 euros to Cabra Wetlands as well. It's a great night. It's kind of a celebration. But also then, we're also, the members of Mid-Tip Walkers will be outlining exactly what you can do if you join the club. And remember, this time of the year, gets a little bit trickier if you're going out on yeah. the hills and that. Yeah. They having the expertise, the trained leaders, the organised walks, being with others, makes it immensely safer. And as well as that, then, you will get to know your county an awful lot better. So it's a lot of reasons to join the club. And then I'll be talking about the next challenge. And we're going off up to the Moor Mountains, where they sweep down to the sea. I don't know, do you play that on the... On the I don't play it, but one of my favourite songs. Isn't yeah, the Mountains of Moor. beautiful. Yeah written, yeah. isn't yeah. it? Gorgeous. Well, French Gorgeous. Are so fantastic. Yeah. So we're going up there, we'll be doing some walking around Belfast and we start again and we hope we have another big amount of money to give out next year as well. So it's on at 7.30 and there's a wine reception to start so get everyone in the mood. Uh, then the members of Mid-Tip, the, the chairman and the PRO will be speaking about the club. So, you know, you just find out it's completely casual. You come along and you say whatever we say, they, they don't, you don't like it, you just don't come back. You just. But if you want to on the night you're impressed, you can join up. Then I'll be talking about walking in Northern Ireland about our challenges and then we'll finish up then by giving out very informal night, giving out the money to all the charities as well as that, having a cup afterwards and sure, you very know, we'll good. all be gone home we'll be home at half nine. Or and kind of and for anybody that might be daunted by this and say, oh, gee, I don't know, I might be fit enough to get involved but I'd love to get involved what, what do you say to people Well like we that? say absolutely I mean, and this is now, you know, because I'm a member of Mid-Tape Hillwalkers, I tend to talk about them, but it's all over the county, I mean, yeah. if you're up in Nina, then join Enoch or Shul. If you're down in Clanmel, uh, join uh, Peak. 
bikes. But what I would say to that is we have four grades of walking. So what you do is you start off with a Sunday ramble, right? So in other words, there was a lady out with me now. I happened to be leading a sea walk yesterday. There's a lady out with me and she was, you know, that's where she w- wanted to come in. And she was very comfortable with it. And she says, you now probably move on to a bee walk the next day. So that's how, then, and then you, you move on up then to the top level. So there are four levels within the club. And then there are Friday night walks as well as that. Then when we go away for weekends, we say the last time we were in Kerry, we were offering Caron Tuchel if somebody wanted to do it. But as well as that, a walk in Killarney National Park and plenty in between as well as that. So there's something for everyone. And whether you're fit or unfit, you can still enjoy walking. And uh, I think, you know, uh, it's something, uh, it's kind of a gift that keeps on giving Mm. once you get into it. Of course. And the whole social aspect of it, needless to say, is, is amazing. I mean, it? yes, yeah. the club, for example, now, yeah. and like they're almost booked out already, they're doing three weekends away, mid tape hill walkers. So you have three opportunities to go on holidays with like minded people. And it's fantastic, you know. I'll probably try and pop down myself there. One of them is down to Chamonix, beautiful place in the French Alps, and with walking for all levels there as well as that. So it's, it's, it's a win win situation. Then you the, the feel good of supporting the charities as well as that, and then just getting out and, you know, and, you know, it's a kind of, um, you know, if it's it's a play, hill walking is somewhere you can join a group on your own because even if you come with somebody else, you'll never be won't end up of course, with, yes. walking with them. So what will happen is you'll be talking to the person beside you. It's a kind of a thing where nobody feels excluded, and you know, it's you don't need expertise, you don't need to be able to play tennis well or golf well or something like that. Of course, all you need is a pair of shoes. And yeah, off, that's it. Off, yeah. off you go. So half past seven, you don't need to register. Just turn no, up. just come along half seven to the Cabra Wetlands on Friday night next and have a, f- a couple of the glasses of wine on us and you know it's generally a very, very good, sociable yeah. night no pressure for anybody to do now, anything now because I got a little bit lost finding Cabra Wetlands at one stage would you, do you want to tell people just roughly where it is <laughs> yeah <laughs> where it is is what the Cabra Wetlands is very interesting because what it arose out of was the slob lands of the old sugar factory yes. and birds used to come in there they liked the warm water they liked the rich water and then when the, those slob lands were filled in uh, the Cabra wetlands were set up to facilitate those birds and it's a wonderful wetlands there with a beautiful centre as well as that and it's about, it's out it's between Holy Cross and Turles on the, what we call the back road yes. or the sugar factory road out by Cabra but lots of people know that they have shindigs and dances and God only knows yeah. it's quite a very popular place and it's a lovely place for us. It's a lovely place and you, you took me on a lovely tour of it at one stage we or another as well. We did and we enjoyed it didn't we? Put, oh, we did indeed. Put on your tourism hat before I let oh, you go yeah. and, and, and talk to me about 2023 John what Tipperary specifically what, what was it like it was look it was there was a shortage there was certainly a shortage of accommodation, accommodation yeah. so Falsh Ireland and um, and Tourism Ireland they were uh, they emphasised then day trip or tourism that's what they were trying to do because of the lack of accommodation now because there's not so much demand they are now talking about weekends away and mid midweek breaks and that kind of thing it wasn't bad but it, the overseas market certainly didn't reach anything like the levels that it was at in 2019 and then there was a shortage of accommodation, which means the spread effects out into cafes, out into visitor, uh, uh, you know, attractions, adventure centres, that kind of thing, horse riding, that wasn't there either. And that's, you know, that's it's a not an obvious thing, but it's a very productive part of and the economy. have we any reason to believe that 2024 will be any better? Because we'll still have those accommodation issues, I guess. We've, we've, well, it looks like we're going that way, yes. Yeah. I mean, the projections from Falsh Ireland and Tourism Ireland at the moment, we won't reach 2,000 
the 19 levels until 2026. That's what they're expecting. Now, the American market performed really well, well enough this year. It's a high spending market. Europe and the, uh, the UK were down a lot. And then you also have the problem then, the long haul markets coming in from Australia and that. They may, you know, with sustainability and everything else now, it's a question, do you still promote to Australia in the present circumstances where you need a 24-hour flight to get to Ireland? There's a lot of things that are going to crop up like that as well as that. But generally speaking, I think the tourism industry was hit hardest by COVID, the longest lockdown in Europe, and hasn't certainly fully recovered yet. Although it was buzzy enough, and I was on the Rock of Cash on that a few times, mm-hmm. and the smaller visitor attractions are certainly losing out. Yeah, certainly some of the restaurants that have been have been packed over the last while, even outside of the, yeah. the season, so to speak. So there's yeah, that element it, of I think what I, you would find that that would be mainly the Irish market. Yes, That's yeah, what you would yeah, find. Yeah. And you might find some from the United States, but it's mainly the Irish market. I mean, there's certainly a spending boom in the Irish market at the moment because, mm. of you know, there's a lot of money and the government are injecting into the economy very heavily through these kind of giveaway budgets. So that's creating that. But that can only last for so long as well. You can only yeah. keep inflating an economy for so long and eventually or your bubble will burst as happened before. So I think we'll be very careful on that. I mean, I'm very optimistic about it. I think we have nice new things on board. You were up with me at Derry in a Flan there. There's a greenway uh, going in there. I think I'm very optimistic for that. St. Declan's Way has proven a winner. People have come in especially just to do St. Ecton's Way and do nothing else in Ireland, have come in from the United States and Canada and that. So I think we're I'm very optimistic about that. But, uh, we, you know, we're always looking at new, at new things and I think you could start me up, but there's a lot more things we could do without building anything new to promote tourism in Tipperary, but sure, you only start me off. <laughs> John, it's always a pleasure. Thanks very much indeed. And uh, just to remind you again, Cabra Wetlands, Thurless, uh, half past seven next Friday night if you're interested in walking and in Indeed, a great night out as well. I'll take a break. Back with more Tip Today. Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecan, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecan, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie now, Lady North Tipperary has started a fantastic new business and she calls herself Tipperary's smallest takeaway. She's based in Ross Grey and our reporter Alison travelled there to find out more. The Little Indian Kitchen is a novel new business in Ross Grey set up by local woman Tessa King. Tessa claims to have the smallest takeaway in Tipperary. She cooks authentic home-cooked Indian cuisine from her own kitchen, which is also delivered around the area. I went to Ross Grey to sit down with Tessa and her partner Sean to see how this unique business is going and what the inspiration behind it was. Well, it was originally inspired uh, by, um, I'd seen the BBC show uh, in uh, about Rachel Coo, the uh, uh, British uh, <laughs> author and presenter and chef herself. She had opened up her kitchen in Paris, the smallest ki- uh, restaurant in Paris, which was basically a kitchen. Why couldn't that concept work right here in Ireland? So I opened up my kitchen uh, as my uh, takeaway, the smallest takeaway in Tipperary. I open on a Friday and a Saturday night, and I do two dishes on each night, two different dishes. So it's just two nights then you operate, so yes. it's four yeah. dishes over two days, <laughs> essentially. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Correct. Correct. And the menu changes every week. 
And you started in April? Yes, early April, end of March, early April. And what's, it, what's been the reaction? The reaction's been really good, a very positive, very fantastic, great support from the people, the local community and Ross Gray itself. Uh, people have said to me they thought it was a great idea. Yeah. You know, and um, it, it's it's me basically show, showcasing home cooking, Indi- authentic Indian home cooking. Yeah. Uh, all the um, produce, my vegetables and herbs, I grow myself in my greenhouse. So it's straight from my greenhouse to your plate. Wow. And it's all freshly made on the day, uh, made by myself, prepared. And the meat, and the meat is locally sourced. Yes. Right. Yeah. Well, is that an important aspect <coughs> of it for you, that what you have to source is local? Yes, oh, yeah. it's from our That's local butchers in Rossway in town. Yeah. yeah. Derry Moore and... And uh, John Duggan butchers. Yeah. Fantastic Excellent. butchers. Mm. Uh, tell me then, what's your inspiration when it comes to cooking? You you mentioned it, it's Indian. Yes. Now, a lot of people will be familiar with Indian cooking here and they love it, God knows. But is what you think is... is proper Indian cooking, is that what we get here in Ireland? We do. Uh, what I wanted to kind of showcase is more my home-style my home style cooking. You see, I was trained by my grandmother and my mother at home, and this is how we were raised, because my mother had a vegetable garden, and so did my grandmother. So we'd pick vegetables, and then we'd come inside the house, and we'd cook it. So that's what I really wanted to showcase, was authentic home cooking, yeah. Indian home cooking. Tell me about the idea then of working from home. Is that because is that to do at all with the cost of setting up a business in Ireland, or is it just you wanted to do something a little bit different? Um, uh, more different. It really was more something to do different because it was more like me inviting the general public to my uh, kitchen in my uh, come come and have dinner with me in my house. This is exactly what I would give my own family. This is what I would cook for my kids. So it was like me inviting you, the general yeah. puppy, come to my house, have dinner with me. If you lived in an, in, lived in an Indian family, this is the food you're eating. Right. So, so it's you know, all the meals are traditionally cooked. Genuine. A lot of your dishes then, would they be dishes that people in Ireland would be familiar with? Or are you trying to maybe introduce them to maybe new dishes that they bit wouldn't both, have had? Bit yeah. of both. Yeah. I, I would make dishes that people are familiar with, mm. but I also try to introduce new dishes. Like in the previous week, we did a dish that I am... Um, that's not m- many people know of, but uh, uh, it's called railway beef. It was a, a dish that was invented during the br- British Empire in, when they were part of India. And so it, it started on the railways when the British would travel through the Indian railways and was a dish created for them. And it's a family affair then as well, because Sean is involved as well. Yeah, this is my yeah. uh, boyfriend, so yes, he helps me out in the kitchen <laughs> as well. And just I, understand the, I understand the, everything. And do you cook as well then? or is, are you? Just... Oh yeah, no, I, I, she pr- prepares and I cook. Very good. Because I'm just like timing. timing. Is there any rows in the kitchen then? Sometimes we get in our ways. But when we started first, we weren't that good because yeah. you don't know. You don't, it's, it's all down to when you, you get an order for 6.30 or 7 or 7.30 yeah. to have it ready. What we like to do now is we like to have it ready to the point that when I deliver the food, so when I finish in the kitchen and then I go on deliveries, yeah. I can say to the customer, like, this 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 dish was only prepared one hour ago. You know yeah, I mean? we're pedantic so, about the food. Like, if it is not right, it does not well, leave this kitchen. Well, we'll start again. She tastes everything as she goes along. And are you building the clientele then all the time? Yes, yes. Uh, like, our, our Facebook at the moment, we are now at 369 followers on our Facebook. Well done. Yeah. Considering in March, we started with zero. Yeah. From March Was to it now. very daunting to set up? It was, you know, when I first had the idea and I'd, I'd spoken to my boyfriend, Sean, about it and he, he was very supportive and he encouraged me to do it and I was very nervous about it. Going into business, because I found that being a, a woman going into business, it, it was it was so nerve-wracking because you, you're full of doubt and you're full of like, you know, what if it's not okay, what if it's not good enough and all that. But 
over time it kind of goes away. Yeah. You just you just keep working and working at it, and that's what I've done. I've just mm-hmm. kept working and working at the business, just focusing on the business and getting it as best as I can get it. Yeah. Do you feel like you're always going to do it from home, or do you think will there ever be a time where you think you know this is maybe I need somewhere bigger than home? Maybe there will come a time yeah. at the point. There will come a time maybe somewhere along the line. Maybe I would move into town into Ross Gray itself. But it's a great way to test the waters, it isn't is, it? It is. Oh yeah. Yeah. Without yeah. incurring the cost. Not, I mean, we talk about the other Indian um, takeouts and restaurants, but this this is from if you went to an Indian family in Indian food. Yeah. You know, like us with our bag bacon and cabbage. Like you, you go back to a yeah. farmer's house to get some bacon and cabbage. You know what's going to taste like. Yeah. You know, you can go and buy it in the shop or whatever, in a, in your hotel or whatever. It'll just taste a bit different. Because yeah. you do hear a lot of stories in Ireland of people maybe who will do sauces yeah. maybe from their own homes and sell them on to yeah. supermarkets. But your idea is very unique in that it, it's being cooked, prepared and even delivered from yes. your own home. Do you know of any other businesses that are work no. operate like that? No, and, it's, no. and it is the smallest yeah. takeaway. We yeah. only offer two dishes and we are only on yeah, two days. Yeah, Friday and Saturday. Yeah. They are like um, <laughs> in the UK I've heard of where there's supper clubs where you can go to people's houses uh, but you belong to a group and they, you can... You taste the food that they offer that night and you could pay what you like yeah. on the day. So it was just really about me saying, okay, I'm inviting the public into my home. Yeah. Come into my home and try my food, my own home cooking. I'm a home cook. Yeah. And try it for me. You're a little bit outside Raspberry as well. You're, you're kind of rural, I suppose, yes. fair yes. to say. It yes. is rural here, yeah. Were you afraid that would be a challenge for you? I, I was, but so far I think people are, are, what, what, have been interested and they've like, yeah, come what, out. What, 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 what we've done is... We charge six euro for delivery, mm. okay? So even most people won't get into the car even to drive around the corner for six euro. Yeah. So I find we get a lot of deliveries, okay, yeah. which is fine. Yeah. But then it saves people because it is, it's 10 minutes from Raspberry, you know what I mean? Yeah. But I know um, by charging at six euro, so I just, six euro for all deliveries within 10 kilometers. Yeah. And that way you find it makes it easier to get the food to people. Mm. You say, okay, six euro, yeah, sure, yeah, I'm trying. The charge for the food then and the meals themselves, are they comparable to other takeaways? Or are you paying a little bit more because you're getting that authentic well, I think meal? Well, I think the prices that we are charging is very competitive at the moment. For our main meals, we are 9.99, and that includes rice as well. For prawn dishes, we are 12 euro 50 with rice. Our starters are 3 euro 50. It's because we, cheaper than a lot yeah, of takeaways. It is, but because we have a smaller yeah. business. It's because probably 20%, 25%. 20% cheaper. Right. And, and I only make a small, uh, I only make a small 20. portion of yeah. the, the dishes. I don't yeah. make a large you quantity of it. Yeah. Once I'm finished, I'm finished. That's sure. it. Do you feel like we eat too much as Irish people? Do we <laughs> like big portions? Um, sometimes I found that people did say that, sort of, you know, the, the portions could be more, but uh, I think overall the portions are fine. I, yeah. You know, they are a standard size, you know, portions. Yeah. You mm. know, um, but th- th- I only make a limited number for the nights. And that's, okay. that's, and that's it. it. Yeah. Once we it's make, gone, it's gone. We make 12, 12 dishes. So six of each one. And that's it. It's gone then. It comes up on the the page. Yeah, it's finished. And are you getting to the stage now where you're selling out a lot quicker? Yes, a lot quicker. Sometimes some dishes are more popular than other dishes. It just depends on the night. It's very hard to say. It just depends on the public. I find like on a Friday night, people would uh, normally ring me after work. Uh, and or even before work finishes and put in an order with me yeah, and say can you have it ready for me I'm finishing work at this time no problem I'd have it ready for you if you tell me what time you'd like it at your yeah, house I'd be at your house at that time we're opening earlier as well we're opening at 4 now instead of 6 yeah because right. we found the demand is that because of demand, demand yes. yeah. fantastic yeah. Yeah. They, they seem to want 
to bring it for yeah right in order for to bring it home on the way i suppose well, to bring work, it home or, yeah yeah, or, yeah. yeah. people will be working nearby yeah, yeah. Get that, you know. so it's growing relatively quickly then it is it well, is yeah. it mm-hmm. is quickly yeah not quick enough for you sean <laughs> yeah but i'm fine you know i'm good for i can do 10 dishes a night no hassle i can put them together it's just getting the timing right for people and getting yeah. them the time and getting the air warm and getting the cooked exactly the same it's the consistency i I, li- I like the consistency of it all. Mm. So nothing ever changes, you know what I mean? <coughs> That's you, you go to a hotel and get a bit of food and say, you went there a month later. And say, no, well, yeah, it's yeah. different. Yeah, so we like to keep it consistent. That's why if it's not right, it's not good enough. I'm sorry. Yeah. Tell me what your hopes for the future are. My hopes for the future would be to obviously to grow the business, to uh, to grow it. And, and hopefully, you know, maybe perhaps in the future, maybe we would move into town and have mm-hmm. it a, as a bigger business. But hopefully at the moment, my current hopes is that the business would grow and you know more people will get to know us and come, want to come and try it. Yeah, it's a great idea for people maybe who are looking to start off, particularly in, in food production or the food yeah. industry, Absolutely. that they yeah. do it from home and see how it's going, going. first yeah. exactly. before they commit to huge commit expense. To yeah. Exactly, yeah. And, I, and also my personal self is that I would love to encourage other women to get involved in business, not to be... I know myself I was scared and apprehensive, but, you know, to just encourage other women that if you're thinking about doing it, just go for it, just do yeah. it and give it a try. How long have you been living in Ross Gray? Uh, 17 years. Wow. I've been living here 17 yeah. years in Ross Gray. So. so you have a good idea of the, I, it's, it's, the you know, market. It is, I do have a great, it is, and to be honest, it's a fantastic town. I would say that to anyone, it's, uh, mm. the people are super nice, super friendly. It's a great town to raise a family. It's a nice, busy town. It's, well. it's, it's just, oh, it's just overall yeah. a, a great place. Yeah. Mm. It's, it's just an overall a great place to live. It really is a really great place to live. And hopefully do business. And do business as well. For anyone who's looking to make contact with you or check out the Facebook page, how can they do that? Yeah, so my Facebook page is called The Little Indian Kitchen. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram. And my numbers are there as well. They can ring me on my number on Facebook there. It's 083-410-4155. And they can WhatsApp me as well. We wish you all the best with the business. Thank you so Thanks much. Thanks so much for Thank talking you. to us. Thank you so much. Oh, I'm starving and I love Indian food so much. Love to try that. That's the little Indian kitchen and a lovely piece there from Ellie. Um, listeners saying, uh, enjoying the show, just wondering if there are any hill walking groups in North Tipperary. There certainly are indeed. And uh, uh, John mentioned uh, the main one there, I suppose, which is Enoch Ershul. Uh, walking club and uh, they're on Facebook if you want to have a look there and uh, make contact with them I'm sure they'd be delighted to hear from somebody new. Uh, Joe was on to us from Thurles. He says one time I went on a night hike on Karen Tuhill it was a bright starry night the most amazing experience on our doorstep says Joe and thanks for that. So back in just a moment. Join the conversation in Tipperary. Contact us through Facebook, Twitter, or email tiptoday at tipfm.com. Tip Today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. Now we're going to hear about a couple of plays happening over the next uh, few weeks. Uh, let's go first of all with the Fionn McCool players because they are staging the shock run in Mulnahone and in the Abbey Mill Theatre in Feathered from the 22nd to the 25th of November. Anne Williamson is the director and she joins me now. Anne, good morning to you. Good morning, Fran. How are you? I'm very well indeed. I didn't realise, Anne, that this is such an old play. I didn't... It goes way back. It is, yeah. It's 18... I think it was 18... 
50 something he wrote it and it was first got its first debut in uh, in America I think on 1860 something and I think he played the lead himself the, yeah. the author tell, tell yeah, us about really the old. tell us about the author because I I can't even pronounce his name it's uh well I'm not very good at pronouncing them myself it's Dion Boutique oh. his name but I think his mother was Irish and his father was French but he wrote a lot of um Irish plays. Uh, I think on Colleen Bond was another one he wrote. Oh, did he uh, indeed? I didn't realise He did, yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah. And uh, this is a real old kind of one set in, in Sligo. And um, it's um, kind of about the time after Catholic emancipation. So it's it's a funny kind of a, a view yes. to, the, to the whole thing, you know. It's, it's a huge cast and... Um, we're having bash at it anyway. Very good. Bring and it the, back the, to life. the shocker on himself then, will you tell me tell me a little bit about him? The shocker on, I suppose he's what he is is um he's a little man that goes around from, from town to town kind of telling stories and most of them made up, if mm. you know what I mean. <laughs> you know, making them bigger and better than yes. what they really are. And he knows the ins and outs and he knows where every bandit is in the country and every pirate and he knows where every rebel is and how to get them out, and he's been in jail a few times, so it's it's um, it's a nice light-hearted, you know, play really, and he's a he's just a, a little storyteller and a maker-upper of stories, and he plays the fiddle and things like that. So. key, I suppose you'd call him maybe in later days, you know. I, I suppose, but it really is it's a, it's a play about small town life, I suppose, Anne. Is it? It is, you know, yeah. yeah. A small little town in called Shulabeg in, in Sligo, and. Uh, one of the landowners of the time, one of the Irish landowners of the time, was sent off to Australia, uh, just simply because he was an Irish landowner, and another fellow wanted to take over his his land. And the Shockron kind of jumps on a boat and heads to Australia, and and makes his way across in the boat by playing the fiddle and singing songs and things, and brings them back. And that's what the story is about, really. Very good. Yeah. Who who's playing the Shockron? The Shockron's been played by Alan Burke. Uh, Alan, um, he he's in from Killinall, and he's been with us a good few times. Great little actor. Very but good. You, you you were saying though a very big cast. How did you get around that, Anne? Well, this is our twentieth, I suppose, anniversary production, and I was trying to bring back as many of of the cast that we had down through the years. So I kind of contacted them all, and they all came on board. Most of them came on board that were able to, you know, that were around. A lot mm. of them have gone far away and out to work and things like that, but. Have eighteen in the cast. So. Wow, well, fair yeah. play. You, you must have needed a bullwhip uh, at rehearsals, I would imagine, for for, for eighteen. No, they're not, they're not too bad, actually. Yeah. Not too bad at all. And we even have a few new faces, actually. Yes, that oh. came in this year, so it's great. No, terrific. So I, I gather it's happening in Mulnahone and the Abbey Mill. Is that right? Yeah, in Mulnahone and the Abbey Mill. Yeah, Mulnahone, I'd say, is probably at this stage sold out. Mm. There might be a couple of tickets left. The Abbey Mill is. Fairly full the first night, and the second night it's kind of half full. So, yes. um, so what date is Mulnahone? I think it's Mulnahone's the twenty. The Abbey Mill is the twenty fourth and the twenty fifth. Okay, so. right. So twenty second. So kind of you kind of have uh, a week le- left to get your tickets now. So right. And, w- yeah. and what about getting those tickets? How how do you go about? Uh, that? Well, Mulnahone is oh uh, eight seven is the number oh eight seven two nine four eight two three one. Uh, and uh, Feathered is online, so it's www.greatevents.ie slash chakron slash abbey mill. 
Very, very good but indeed. Yeah. You're right. But yeah. uh, tickets are selling very quickly for this, so I guess you'd want to yeah, very quickly, get, yeah. get your so skates on you. Get oh, your right. tickets if you want them, yeah. Well, Anne, we wish you the very best. Great piece, and uh, I'd love to get along to it myself. Uh, look after yourself, Anne. Thanks very much indeed. Thank Thanks you. Thanks very much, Anne. Thanks. Uh, bye-bye. Thank uh, the Chakron there is uh, being staged by the Fiona Cool players in Mulnahone and indeed in the Abbey Mill now. Another play, The Quiet Land, a one-act play written by Malachi McKenna on the lives of two neighbours in modern-day rural Ireland. It will take place in Newcastle Hall on Saturday and Sunday, November 18th and 19th. In other words, this coming uh, weekend, uh, the uh, uh, producer is uh, Ger Mar, and Ger joins me now. Ger, good morning to you. Good morning, Fran. How are you? I'm very well indeed. Tell, tell me about the quiet land, Ger. Well, totally opposite to Anne and her play. We've two of a cast, and Anne directed me going back to 2017 and I played the Bull in the Cave in the, in the theatre field. Um, I'm sure she won't forget us. Did I you? Wow. Well, I did, yeah, yeah. yeah. That was my last one in Clanmel, um, the theatre field for a good few years. <laughs> and um, The Quiet Land is a play written by Malika McKenna. And I did some research on him over the last few days. I actually talked with a name like that. He had a northern... Um, like that, she came from the north. Yes. She actually came from Boris and Kane. Did he? In her own great town. Oh. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a two man play. It's about two men, two old men, uh, neighbours struggling to survive in the rural island of today. It's not like the more, um, like most of the plays that would have this sort of a theme to it would be going back probably to the 40s and 50s. Mm. But this is of today. Lots of good things have happened over the years, but there are still isolated people. Men in particular living on their own, firing off the roads, afraid when they see lights coming up, who's coming to the door. Um, it's been on the amateur drama circuit for quite a number of years. Uh, Malik and McKenna wrote it in 2014. It's actually won the All Ireland Drama Festival. I think it's a palace player from Cork that, that actually won us, if I'm right. Um, I first came across this Baz. I can't think of his second name. Do you know the first guy who's in the Bank of Ireland? Ads? Oh, yes, yeah, yeah. Ash Mawai. Yeah. Yeah. Was it? He had a programme on there between 2018 and 2019, and he made dreams come true for people. Mm. And one gentleman, uh, a bachelor farmer, as it actually happened, wanted to go on stage and do a little play. Yeah. So they came up with this. So Ricky Dunn, who's a good friend of mine for many years, I text Ricky, as I was watching this, I said, turn on our you one. So he caught us on the plus one, and he said to me, we'll do that sometime. And for Kira's fundraiser, wherever Kira should go, Kira was in school common mm. at the time. Mm. So I'm doing this for positive steps. Um, but this is a, um, it's a really, it's a humorous play, friend. It's a sad play. Um, there's a lot of humor. There's a bit of crack. There's a bit of sports in it. But, um, and it's, it's a simple one act. It's about 60 minutes long. Mm. And uh, um, that's about the size of it, really and truly. But it is a sad play in a way, it, and in that Nashi um, is the character that I play. Eamon is the character that Ricky plays, and one of the characters actually just come out of hospital. He's after being robbed and he's after being beaten up, and he meets his neighbour, and they meet uh, halfway, and they have a chat about his experience in hospital and they talk about life and the way life has changed since they were young men and uh, the story moves on from there and I won't say too much more about it but there's a sad end to it really and truly but uh, something that I just love to get back on the stage again I haven't been on the stage since COVID and I just wanted to get back on it 
of course, just been for positive steps, like the some involved in. So, um, of course, I'm yes. hoping that people will actually come along and 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 support us on the night. Now, we put it on for two nights. Um, hoping that we can get two nights out of it. So, with the tickets in other words, and also John McCarroll's in Newcastle and Siobhan Bucks in Arfin and Village. So, tickets are ten euro, and um, all proceeds are going to positive steps. And I want to thank Mister Mister from Care and from Cashel for actually mm. sponsoring this play for us and taking care of any cost that we have. So that's my spiel on it. Yeah, well, it, it, it resonates with uh, rural Ireland a big time because there's a lot of fear out there, particularly people living on their own, Jerry, and you'd be well aware of that, you know. Well, there is a living rural Ireland myself and then there is a lot of fear out there and distrust in Catholic yeah. and all. Um, two guys and one of them has a flash you can do as he's right. holy. And, to protect um, themselves, yeah. Yeah, that's about the size of it, yeah. yeah. That's about the size of it, and there's an awful lot of that. But one of the guys has been robbed, he has been beaten up, and the story ensues from there. And there's some humour in it, there's some really good humour in it. There's a little bit of hurling evenings with two legs up, up on the stage together, which is quite humour as well. Where would we be without a little bit of hurling? That's true, <laughs> for God's sake, yeah, absolutely. So tickets in Macara's and O'Dwyer's in Newcastle. Burks and Ardfinnan, I think, isn't it as well? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, sure. Let me just ask you before you go, because I'm fascinated. You played the bull in I the did. field. That What was that? I can't imagine what it must be oh, like, taking on a character like the Bull McCabe, you know? It was something I always wanted to do and that was very good to give it to me. I played the Chastitude as well, which was a character on stage. Yeah, oh, yeah. nice. But it was eight different dollars. But the Bull McCabe, for anyone who's in drama and who loves drama, the Bull McCabe has to be the part that you want to play. Oh, yeah. So, um, and, did, and did it very well and... Um, and uh, I loved doing it. I loved doing but to, it. I but to loved... get inside that, and you know, the soliloquies, uh, the, the, the speeches, like, it's so powerful, isn't it? It's... Mm, it is. It is fine. And uh, the other feature, the, the, the actual stage version is so different like, to the televised version. I watched the actual film, mm. The Christmas After That with Richard Harris, yeah. and it was so different in so many ways. Now, the bull was the same character. The bull was, he was raging, he was... He was powerful, um, you know. Um, he wasn't a nice character, but he was a sad character too. Mm, yeah, you know? yeah, of course. Of course but I loved, I loved it, and it was the greatest privilege I had to stand on the stage in the White Memorial and play the Bull McCabe. It was a super, mm. super proud to play. R- Richard so Harris I, got some critique for that, actually. What, what did you think of his performance in the movie? Uh, Actually, his performance is great, but I suppose none of, a lot of people I know wouldn't come to see the play because of what they saw on television. Are you serious? If you look at if you look at, at the actual film and you see the cattle going out over the cliff, that was yeah. horrendous. I, I just look, that that wouldn't be for me. Obviously, that doesn't happen. Yes, yeah, it was real kind of Hollywood. I I thought, in fairness, that John Hurt was my favourite character in that. Oh, I, I thought as the bird, oh, uh, the bird, uh, he. I thought he was the amazing. Board. Yeah, we had Kevin Fahey as the bird. Uh, yeah. Kevin Fahey was absolutely. Kevin Fahey was absolutely fantastic as the bird. We had some really good characters. In that. Yeah, really, great, really great, good characters. Great in that. And it was fantastic to do. But this is just a small way for me. And I've said many times, this is my last one, and this is my last one. But because it's for positive steps, and because Kira is going to benefit from it somewhere down the line I said look we'll do this we've been at this for about two months I've been going into Ricky's most nights and we've been in the hall uh, yeah. uh, also trying to we're in for a quite busy week and just hope people come and see it and people have been very good and they've said look I can't go but here's a donation and that but I will ask people will you just please come to see it I just want to see when you're on that stage as you know yourself 
with what you do yourself. Mm. You mm. love to see faces. You oh, love to see people. Absolutely. That's, and that's I just for love sure. to see people just for the next two nights. It's for 60 minutes. If you're going there and after that, you can go for a few drinks after that, whatever. Whether you're going to Goldenbridge, Newcastle, or Clannell, or yeah. Afrin, or wherever you're going. But just we just love to see go. heads. Just for two nights, have good fun. And just hope people come to see it. And I'm really looking forward to doing well, it. Well, I, I I hope everybody gets along to see that. How is Kira, by the way? She's well, is she? Ah, she's amazing. She's yeah. off today. Uh, they have a feed today. She's Kira is um, uh, she's an absolute legend. Yeah. She's the best She's doing very well. And on her way to Newcastle every morning, she listens to Fran, her friend Fran. And on her birthday, you were kind enough to remember her also. So Kira's flying, Fran. Look, this day today was her. Um, She's really good and she loves going over to her place with every day and she loves coming home and, and she's happy and that's uh, the name. Is, is, isn't that great? Well, send send my love to her, won't you? Look I will, a, of course. Look after yourself and ha- have have a great one and break a leg as they say, Ger. Great to see you. <laughs> Th- thanks very much. Thank you. Thanks again, Frank. Thanks bye-bye, Chilo. Bye-bye. That's uh, Ger Mar there telling us about uh, Maliki McKenna's piece, uh, The Quiet Land. And uh, November 18th and 19th, so that's Saturday and Sunday of next uh, weekend. And it sounds like great crack altogether. Hours to Protect, brought to you by Tip FM, the IBI, and funded by Commission Naman with the television license fee. Check out hourstoprotect.ie for more info. Ireland is committed to reducing its greenhouse gas emissions by 42% before 2030. But at the latest estimate, Ireland are on track to only achieve a 10% reduction by that deadline. A lot is spoken about in terms of carbon credits, but many don't understand what a carbon credit actually is. Brendan Gilday is a barrister and carbon credit consultant. I spoke to him about their importance and why the agriculture sector in particular will need to up its game in that regard. Brendan began by explaining what a carbon credit is. There's three different types of carbon credits, okay? Firstly, each country, let's say in the Western legal world or even the whole world, arising from the Kyoto and Paris agreements, would have, you know, certain targets to meet, okay? So we, I would call those the public sector or the government, um, let's say, focused um, system, okay? Then you have a second tranche of private companies. Now, you might have large companies, like energy companies, um, being given a certain amount of emission units or permissions, and that forms what's called a compliance market. And secondary to that, then, you have companies who are voluntarily trying to reduce their carbon footprint, okay? So you might, your, your listeners might be familiar with, let's say, at point of sale, I bought um, a ticket to a theatre um, a couple of weeks ago and I was offered to you know, pay an extra two euro to offset your carbon. So that's the voluntary market. And then the third category would be, again, this, this personal, each individual can then sign up to pay extra or, let's say, um, do, do it in their own life, try and cycle instead of drive. So there's three different systems at the minute. Um, and what's interesting, if you look at the middle tier, let's say the private companies, um, is maybe the most popular one. In the compliance market, to a permission to burn a ton of carbon of CO2 or to release a ton of CO2 in a minute is 100 euro. That's how much it costs. Okay, so if you're a company and you're short on your budget, let's say 50,000 tons, you have to spend 50,000 times 100. Okay, and you have to buy them off other, let's say, European com- uh, companies, um, which is interest- interesting. But 
on the voluntary side, if you have Joe Bloggs, let's say, who's, I don't know, based in Tipperary, and he says, okay, I'm going to try and make, let's say, my farm more efficient. And I'm, as a result of that, I'm going to save maybe two tonnes a year, okay? Now, there, there are grants certainly available for him to do that, maybe to have a little bit of solar energy or biomethane fuel and so on on his farm. But the tonne, the price per tonne on that is around eight euro. So it's 10 times less than the compliance markets, which maybe is a discussion, maybe both of them will increase over time. But that generally um, is what it is. The voluntary market is not regulated, the compliance um, markets are regulated effectively. You give farmers there as an example, and they will often say that they're scapegoated when it comes to issues like this. But is that a fair accusation in your mind? Well, just in the context of today, we're, we're at the Gertin um, conference um, on I suppose, sustainability, and it's particularly focused at farmers. I think we're reaching in a, in a moment, a very interesting moment of awareness, I think, in terms of both the governments in Europe are making grants available and farmers are now starting to really take them up on them. But the difficulty may be, and my, my background would be a legal background, I'm a barrister by trade, um, you would have maybe a lot of red tape in terms of taking up the grants. And then you might get the grant, you might get the, the let's say, the solar panels um, installed, but then you might find that your smart meter hasn't arrived and it'll be an extra year before you can sell back to the grid. Now, there's the, uh, the accessibility of the grant and the technology, but then there might be, there might be slightly more complicated next steps, okay? So I think a lot of the, the grant holders, while they are you know, aware that they have public money. They need to have certain necessary red tape attached um, to those grants. But then I suppose it's almost like you'd need an intermediary layer um, of almost like, you know, sustainability advocates that will meet Farmer Murphy on his land and sit down and explain to him, look, these are the grants that you can get. This is how long it will take for X, Y and Z to happen. And these are the steps. Um, I don't think there's that at the minute. So uh, they, they can't be labelled um, as scapegoats at the minute because a lot of the grants are almost inaccessible. Are we doing enough as a country to kind of address the issues that are there? I mean, well, Ireland is in the process of, um, just last Friday, closes submissions on the Climate Action Plan 2024. And if you look at the 2023 Climate Action Plan, which is available um, online, um, you can see there are a lot of projects. Now, these are the high level early stage projects okay um, but if you look at Ireland's target to reduce its emissions by 40 percent uh, we will only get a quarter of that so in other words our by 2030 we're only at the minute going to achieve a 10 percent reduction so we are let's say mathematically and categorically behind and for me what I see is is a lack of incentive for small companies which you would say makes up the majority and obviously we can point at big companies but you would say from the long tail of the internet and technologies the way they're rolled out it's actually the accumulation of all the small to medium farmers in the country that will make the difference and I don't see the real incentive there at the minute Hours to Protect brought to you by Tip FM the IBI and funded by Commission Naman with the television license fee Check out ourstoprotect.ie for more info. Thanks for that, Ali. And uh, just before we go, some of your correspondence with us. Uh, listener says, I've no problem helping misfortunate people, but enough is enough. The system for incoming people needing protection or refuge is beyond shocking. Why have the Immigration Department not been brought 
before the government to answer questions as to why these people are not assessed within a short time period. And any Ukrainian able to travel home to Ukraine should be told to remain. If you can travel back, you don't need refuge here. And any undocumented migrant should be put straight back on the same airline that brought them to Ireland. And Ireland should find the airline just like Australia does. Now, there was a listener on following my conversation with Dean McGrath accusing us of being anti-Semitic. And, you know, it's it's a tired old argument. I mean, if if you're critical of Israel, and a lot of people are critical of Israel, um, you're deemed to be anti-Semitic. And, I mean, that's that's just not the case, and that just doesn't add up. And in my conversation with Dean on this occasion, and in fact the last time we spoke to him, uh, we were completely completely at pains to point out that the uh, atrocity perpetrated by Hamas was just dreadful and shouldn't have happened. And, you know, those 1,400 people who died, that was absolutely dreadful as well. But just because you're critical of Israel does not make you an anti-Semite. Anyway, there you go. Um, That's about it uh, from me. Emma produced. uh, Ali looked after content today. Stephen is on the way with the time tunnel on the Lunchtime Show. And, of course, he will play match three as well. I'll be back with you tomorrow. Be careful out there. Look after yourselves now, won't you? Bye-bye. Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie.